tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, the Ashley Murphy murder trial begins today. Our listeners air their opinions on the recent INMO trolley gar figures. Uh, Secrets from the Dance Floor, which uh, features Feathered Ballroom, will air on RTE1 tonight. We'll be chatting about that as well. And Patrick Kilty. He has his third late late under his belt at this point. We will hear a verdict or two on that. You can text him WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today, the Irish Times. And they're running with the story, budget set to include new energy credits and USC cuts, uh, cuts to universal social charge for workers. A new round of up to three household energy credits and a scrapping of the planned excise increase on petrol and diesel are being considered as preparations for the budget enter the final week. And as Pat told you there during news, up to 30,000 people on their third or subsequent learner permit have never sat a driving test and in some cases may have been driving for almost 30 years without ever holding a licence. To the Irish Examiner... And their lead stories about uh, TikTok and cybersecurity fears over TikTok are nonsense. And the government is succumbing to US and European fever, the Chinese ambassador to Ireland has said. The Irish Daily Mail and uh, their lead story, Gardaí, are examining mocked-up videos of Justice Minister Helen McEntee and the Taoiseach of Radcar being shot to determine the level of incredible threats, or, or credible threats indeed, to uh, politicians. Uh, the Garda Special Detective Unit is investigating alleged death threats made against members of the Cabinet, as well as threats by members of the public that they wish to burn down the Doyle. On the Independent, dominated by a photograph of uh, Shane Lowry and Rory McElroy celebrating with their Europe uh, teammates after they regained the uh, Ryder Cup trophy from the US and photographs from that all over the front pages today as well. Also on the Times, they're telling us that families in the squeezed middle stand to gain most in next week's uh, budget as measures are set to benefit uh, commuters and parents as well. So that's a look at what's making headlines. If you want to make comment on any of that, we would be delighted to hear from you. Once again, the text and WhatsApp is 083 311 The trial of a man accused of murdering 23-year-old school teacher Ashing Murphy last year is set to be begin today in the Central Criminal Court. Yosef uh, Puska, who is 32, is charged with the murder at Capincourt, Tullamore, uh, County Offaly, on the 12th of January uh, last year. Joining me now is Andrew Loth, a reporter with uh, Bauer Media. Uh, good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Fran. And thanks so much for your time this morning. Will you just remind us once again about uh, Ashing's death? That's right, Fran. So just um, just as a bit of a background, Ashling Murphy, as you said at the top of the piece, that she was 23 years of age. She was a recent graduate of Mary Immaculate in Limerick. She had studied to be a primary school teacher, and indeed she was working as a teacher 
at Duro National School in County Offaly, and she was also a traditional Irish musician. Now, on the 12th of January 2022, Ashing was allegedly assaulted along the Grand Canal in Tullamore, and she she passed away from her injuries. And so uh, she and her her death took place, as you said, on the 12th of January 2022. Now, Joseph Puska, as you also pointed out, 32 years of age, of a Lineley Grove in Tullamore in County Offaly. He is accused of Ashing Murphy's murder and he is due to stand trial before the Central Criminal Court this morning. There was a delay with this trial. I think it was supposed to happen in, in June, Andrew. That's correct. It was initially penciled down uh, to take place in June, but uh, the prosecution received a report from the defence and they made an appeal to Justice Paul McDermott to delay the trial so that they can go through that report and they can prepare, give themselves that extra bit of time to prepare for the trial. So Justice Paul McDermott decided to grant that delay until uh, the 2nd of October, which is today, and also happens to be the start of the new court term. What do we know about Mr Puska? As I said earlier, um, he's a 32-year-old man. He's a Slovakian native of Lineley Grove in Tullamore in County Offaly. And that's about really what we do know of him, uh, to be honest, at this stage. Fran, as, um, as pointed out, he is accused of the murder of Ashling Murphy. And in a general sense, upon conviction, murder carries a mandatory life sentence in Ireland. The trial itself, uh, Andrew, I presume this will go on over several weeks. It's due, it could last for up to six weeks, France. So um, generally what happens is that, you know, just for example, today, it, as I said earlier, it is the first day of the new court term. That is, that is um, an important uh, point to note because mm. with every first day of a new term, you, you'd know yourself, Fran, when we're coming back after a Christmas break or a summer break that, you know, there's a lot of body of work to get through. Sure. Um, for judges to get through and, you know, it'll ultimately depend on when the case is called before the judge. It is listed for half past ten and um, that's, uh, it, is, it is for half past ten this morning. And so after that, you know, a jury will be selected. We don't know how long this will take. Mm. It varies from case to case. And uh, if, but if everything goes to plan, we could hear opening statements uh, this afternoon from the prosecution and possibly the defence as well. But that ultimately depends on how everything uh, goes through today. All right, Andrew, I'm sure there will be huge interest in this uh, trial and uh, we'll be catching up with you along the way again. Andrew, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you and good morning to you. That's uh, Andrew Louth there of uh, Bauer Media and uh, he will be covering that uh, trial for us uh, over the next uh, few weeks. 1800 the text and WhatsApp Only three, three double one, double three, double one. Now, we've been discussing the HSE uh, trolley gar figures on the programme as opposed to the INMO figures. And uh, big difference indeed in in those figures and how they're made up and how they're looked at and how they're counted. But it did spark an awful lot of engagement and Donal was in touch with us. Donal, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, great to talk to you today, Donal. You're making the point that winter, of course, fast approaching, and you think there's little answers from the HSE in terms of, 
I don't know, dealing with what we'll have by way of COVID and flu and trolleys and all of that? Well, I think, Fran, it's going to be as you were. Uh, we'll have the same problem again this winter as we had last winter. We'll have literally hundreds of people on trolleys and no answers. Mm. Uh, there's a multitude of problems. As we're talking, I suppose, basically about uh, the so-called University Hospital in Limerick, because that's our local hospital, if you like. Yes. And it also appears to be one of the worst affected in the country, mm. always. Oh, it seems to be on top of the, of the list, the wrong list, unfortunately. Mm. Um, th- there's inherent problems in um, Limerick Hospital. Mm. And I think it all stems back to management, or rather the lack of it. Because in that institution, management seems to have abdicated their responsibility. And what, what, and what, what do you mean by that now, Donald? Well, I, I speak to people who work in there regularly, mm. and what's happening in there is it's very strange. Um, you can literally walk into work, there's no clock in, there's no clock out, you can disappear and go and do your shopping and and come back again and no, nobody notices their minds. You can walk into the canteen as soon as you come in the door and stay inside for an hour on a coffee break and then you might decide to go to work. But, but Donald, we're hearing that, uh, you know, it's it's chaotic down there and the people who work there run off their feet at this point. So. I, I, I'm not surprised because there's lots of people working very hard down there but there's also a complete absence of any kind of actual management mm. that would appear. Now, just as a case in point, um, the HICPA were in there recently and they do their usual type of inspections. And, of course, when HICPA turn up, all the people on trolleys disappear. Mm. And they're put God knows where. There was actually a case of where... Um, those two patients going up and down the lifts while the inspection is going on in order to get them out of the way. Now, where, where are you getting your information from? On, on the, I mean, obviously, don't mention names to me, but I mean, no, no, I, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare yeah. do that to a friend because otherwise we'd all be sued at some. Sure, but I mean, are you? Where are you getting this information from, then, Donald? Is it people I, working I, I, there? I, I, or? Yes, yes. Yeah. And because like, the, 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 the situation is ongoing, like. Yeah, <laughs> the concept of management in there doesn't seem to exist. It's just they were they were all had abdicated total responsibility for what they're supposed to be doing. Right, and can I be devil's advocate on this uh, for just a moment? I mean, management essentially in there they were landed with a situation that they can't possibly uh, cope with with the downsizing of Nina and Ennison St John's, for example. So everything is centred now. On um, on UHL, and they just don't have enough capacity. Well, you see, this idea of creating a centre of excellence, yes, in inverted commas, that has seems to have failed drastically because, as you said, uh, we they excluded effectively Nina and Ennis in terms of uh, an A and E department mm. that would, would be open twenty four seven, and when that was the case, things were different. Mm. But now, for the last several years. Um, A&E, Limerick and Nina is, uh, sorry, in, in, Lim- in Nina and Ennis seems to be only open part-time, maybe 8 or 12 hours a day. Well, of course, when the pressure comes on, everyone is taken to Limerick. Mm. And with obvious consequences, because the A&E department is over full, because Ammons is queuing up outside waiting because they can't actually leave until somebody actually takes the patient that they have. Yes. 
and the whole system starts to crumble as a result. And but, have you have you experienced as a patient, Donal? Well, uh, me personally, I've experienced it as an outpatient. Yeah. But a uh, number of my relatives have experienced it as patients, as being actually uh, lucky enough to actually get a bed eventually in there. Mm. And they would tell you that it's complete madness. Mm. Um, I can remember back to 2016 when there was some kind of actual physical care for patients when they actually got into a ward. Because uh, I remember visiting relatives in there. And then you jump forward to 2020 and the whole system seems to have crumbled completely in terms of actual physical care for the actual patient in the bed. It, it, it yeah. seems to have collapsed. And the interesting thing is that we're throwing money at this. I mean, we're talking about uh, the departments, the health department needing an extra, what is it, over a billion uh, this year. They're running over again. So, like, it's we're, we're throwing money at this, but it, it doesn't seem to be working. Well, the health service seems to... It's, it's almost like a sponge. It seems to absorb money willingly. Mm. And then... But the same token, we also seem to want to spend money willingly and without any uh, recourse whatsoever. You go back and you look at the new National Children's Hospital, which is now going to cost well in excess of two billion, mm. and it's still not fit for purpose. I mean, it doesn't even have a helipad. And why do you think that nobody can seem to get a grip on it? If you take all of the. Um the various health ministers will take over the last 20 years or so. I mean, whatever your party allegiance might be, some of the brightest and best had a shot at sorting out health, but failed miserably. But there seems to be a lot of um, vested interests in the organisation. Uh, I mean, the, the creation of the HSE originally was basically a, a kind of a mudguard to keep the pressure off the minister at the time. And that goes back to the time of Mary Harney and indeed Michal Martin. Michal Martin, yeah. And and you're talking about the dissolution then of the health boards and being replaced by um, by the, the, the HSE. But, but of course, the reason, I mean, it, it's also dangerous that we look back with rose-coloured glasses. I mean, there was a lot of issues with health boards as well and with vested interest there and political interest there. And that's why uh, they were disbanded, so to speak. Well... The funny thing is, though, we seem to be recreating the health board yes, because a version of, uh, as yeah. of late, uh, we see, I think this is six or seven uh, mm. new kind of health regional authorities. Yes, yeah. That's the, the health board by another name yeah. because they've realised that the HSE itself uh, isn't actually working and yeah. can't work because they've created a monster and it's literally out of control. So they have to take down the monster. What would Simple you do if if you were handed the gig tomorrow and you were made health minister? How would you deal with the HSE, Donald? I'd be very draconian, utterly ruthless. In what in what way? Any any management above level eight or above, I would sack immediately for incompetence, because it's obvious. It's you can actually be sacked for incompetence, man. No matter what contract you have, you mm. get the, you get the flick. But the problem is that no Minister for Health seems to have the cojones to do it. Yeah, but you see, for that you'd have to prove incompetence, and it, it, it seems... I, I, I think, no, that, that's kind of self-evident, Fran, to be yeah. honest. But, I mean, to level it at individuals is what I'm saying, Donald, you know, because the, the whole thing seems to me to be chaotic in some way, you know? Well, unless somebody 
takes this animal by the scruff of the neck and wrestles with it and uh, gets rid of the dead wood, yeah. this problem is going to continue. And we're going to keep pumping literally billions into the black hole. And you're not going to fill that black hole because there seems to be an awful lot of sticky, greedy fingers. They are willing to take the loot. And I've heard of, like, of uh, elements of the HSC literally overpaid by millions. When I mean, there was some consultants there earning telephone numbers. Mm. Like, I mean, that's just insane. It can't continue. What about the current health minister? Um, not up to the job. Mm. I don't think so. Hasn't got the, literally the balls to get in there and kick some ass when it needs to be kicked. I don't think any of them have because they're all tiptoeing around the problem and nobody wants to actually solve it and take the necessary ruthless action that needs to be done. But in the meantime, do you think... Do you, well, let me put this to you, for example. Do you think a change of government would sort this in some way? Well, it's a bit like um, Lanigan's balls. Charlie stepped in again and Charlie stepped out again because you'll get more of the same because I, I don't see any creativity in any of them. And from the current figures that have been seen there in terms of polls, it looks like Sinn Féin is in the ascendancy. Mm. But I couldn't see them doing anything about it either. There'll is be a lot of is there anything they are saying that might lead you to believe that they have the... Uh, not really, no. no. Mm. I, I think in terms of political parties now, it's a plague in all your houses as far as I'd be concerned because I, I think they're all equally useless, to be honest. And did you have an allegiance to a political party? At no, at one never. Stage? No, never. Never. Yeah. Never. Because <laughs> um, maybe, shall we say, um, they wouldn't be effective enough for my kind of thinking because there seems to be self-serving, to be honest. Yeah, but you see, we're in a democracy and, you know, if we don't use our vote, you know, it's just... Well, uh, well allegedly we are in a democracy, but mm. unfortunately... Uh, it seems to be the people at the bottom of the pile always seek to suffer. I mean, Leo goes on about the squeeze middle, yeah. but he's entirely forgetting about the crushed bottom. Yeah. But all the waste and all the pressure comes on, the people at the very bottom of the pile, they don't seem to matter. And a lot of those would be regular users of the health service. Um, the retired, the elderly, those with lifelong conditions and all the rest of it. But, I mean, they, they're making a big deal. I mean, this budget, there's so many leaks about it now, I could almost write it myself. But it, it looks as if that they will attempt to do something for the people you're you're talking about in, in, in the upcoming budget. Do, yes, you think, is sure. it just paying lip service, do you think, to them? But sure. Look, look at this way, Fran. Uh, we've had a number of increases already in duty on fuels. Yeah. Hmm. And now we're talking in the budget, oh, baby, we won't put on the next increase and we'll make good little boys and girls and it'll make us look good. Yeah. Sorry, folks, it doesn't. It's too late. The horse is bolted. Those increases should never have come on fuels in the first place because yeah. uh, the price of oil is already increasing internationally yeah. and as a result, uh, petrol diesel prices are going up anyway, but so is home heating fuel. And the fun will start uh, when winter comes, which is not too far away. And yeah. people want to fill their tanks. So if people discover... get, get some sort of a small allowance in the budget, you're saying it's going to be eaten up very, very quickly. I think it's, with, with... I think it's already gone, Fran. Do, do you think so? Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Un you see, 
unless we we need to do something rather radical in terms of our, our own energy supply. And we could do that, and we have the capacity to do it, and we have the natural resources to do it. But we don't seem to plan for our own future in this country. We only plan as part of the next general election. Well, you see, the, there's a green ideology as well here at at play too. Is, the, is that what you mean in terms of us doing something about our own? Well, um, the green ideology, unfortunately, is probably the cause of the increases in fuel costs to, to a large degree in terms of carbon tax and all the rest of it. And, of course, that only hits the poorest, mm. unfortunately. And there doesn't seem to be any comeback or any way of helping them once the price has increased. And then you can stray into the area of electric vehicles and all the rest of it. All very fine in theory and, and very laudable, but who can afford it? Well, this, I mean, this is the thing. I was talking about that actually over the weekend, how blooming expensive they are, even if you did want to go down that uh, particular road. It seems to me, Donald, just finally, you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel, can you? Well, in this particular one, unless we come across somebody with uh, the resolve and the will to sort it out, and that means chopping um, off heads, literally, because people will have to shift, they'll have to go because they're obviously failing and has been failing for years mm. and that incompetence on the highest order, they should be fired. Yeah, and if it was a company, if it was a, a private company, a commercial entity of some kind, I mean, this wouldn't go on. You, you couldn't keep leaking money like that because where where would it come from to prop you up, you know? But Well, I've seen it happen in, in, in private industry, like, you know, uh, if somebody is misbehaving or not doing the job properly or just genuinely incompetent, they get promoted sideways. Yeah. Um, I, I used to work for a multinational years ago and I can think of one particular case where a fellow was promoted to somewhere in Siberia. <laughs> yeah. This is instead of sacking him, he just got thrown him. Yes, he, on the he just got moved, moved where he couldn't possibly do any harm, they thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, we all thought, well... Maybe some of us thought that you know moving Mr. Watt in there to to head up the uh, the department and the stuff would would uh, have made a difference, but um, I don't know. It doesn't seem to have made any any difference whatsoever, unfortunately. All right, Don. I, I, I must I must what? leave it there, Don. But really good to talk to you today, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Don. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, you Eighteen hundred nine three eight double. 07, uh, the text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Now, uh, one of our listeners on to say, Fran, will you congratulate Aoife McCormick uh, from Ballangarry, who on Saturday, along with her three teammates, won the WDF World Cup of Darts, uh, beating Wales in the final in Denmark. They also won the overall silver medal. Uh, I suppose that should be silver medal, should it? In the, in the ladies' category. Uh, they became only the third country to win the world. Uh, also, congrats to Ina Burns from Clonmel, who took home a bronze medal in the girls' pairs, and also the overall silver medal in the youths' section. Congrats to both and to Team Ireland on a highly successful week 
from all in MB's Darts Club. So well done indeed. Mighty news there altogether. Somebody saying, I listened to David Cullinan of Sinn Féin. And he said, David, of course, is the health uh, spokesperson for Sinn Féin. And he stated that if they are in government, they will hold the administration of the HSE to account, as it would seem that the HSE are accountable to nobody. I would not have uh, been a Sinn Féin supporter in the past. However, this time I will give them my vote as our country is being sent down the river. It's getting to the stage in our own country. If you're Irish, you need not apply. Somebody else saying, Fran, I so agree with that man that was Donald. Um, you would want to be in hospital to see what's going on there. There is no management. Uh, everybody seems to be doing what they like and not doing what they don't like. It's uh, just throwing money at the HSE and nobody's checking where it's going. Well, in fairness, I remember Michael Lowry speaking to me about this some months ago when he pointed uh, his finger very firmly at management, at management in uh, HSE. Um, another listener saying, good morning, Fran. I was in Nina on Friday and a man in his 30s was begging outside a supermax. A lady spoke to him. She went into supermax. Uh, she was at least 10 minutes, came out and gave him a bag with food in it. He took one bite, uh, spit it into the bag, squashed it with his, uh, his bag at the door of the bank and walked away. That lady probably paid up to 10 euro for the food. And while I have sympathy for the homeless, um, he obviously only wanted money. And that's in from Siobhan this morning on 083 311 Now, on Friday, we spoke to uh, one of our listeners, Tony, about road safety, particularly road safety on the N24 in the Menard area. Uh, Tony covered that area as a guard in Tipperary Town. He's retired now, of course. Um, he was also a road collision investigator for the area, and now he's a driving instructor. But it did spark an awful lot of reaction indeed. And Michael was in touch with us, and Michael joins me now. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Fran, and your listeners. How are you keeping yourself? I'm very well, Michael, but I'm really interested in talking to you today because, boy, do you have experience of being on the roads. You, tell me, you drove your first, first bus from Thurles to Templemore how long ago, Michael? Oh, well, I, my money saying I drove, I drove a lot of roads, but till, I tell you, in 1960, and that's a long time ago. Wow, it certainly and, is. And uh, that road is still being repaired. Still but being repaired? If you look repaired. up at the HSE, you were saying that they're slow. Sure, everyone is slow. They're talking about bypassing the town to take four years to get things in order and have to buy land and all this. There should be no delay like that, friend. Why would you have to wait four years to buy land off of someone? Ask them, where did they get the land the first day? They get around 15000 an acre now, and that's good money. So give them the 20000 and take the land and do the roads and make the country a bit, to move a bit faster, you know, we're, we're a bit slow like. CPO and 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 all of that, yeah. And you know, you see, people are entitled to object. That's the only thing. If if, if the ah, but there's too much object. There are objections everywhere, friends, friend. And uh, there's always someone cribbing about the health or something else. But go back to the the driving and all mm. the rest. Yeah. Do you see? You were saying like, okay, you didn't get a license. A lot of people didn't get a license. But you're, you're I didn't hear tell you having a bad crash or having any accident. But it's mm. just that it's bad driving that's causing most of the accidents. First of all, you get into your car in the morning. You don't even look at the number behind or front. Is it dirty or not? No. But if you're driving a truck, and I'm not backing up truck drivers or mm. bus drivers, you cannot go out in the road without checking. I think it's 14 different things you have to check. Your wipers, your lights, your number plate, your tyres, 
everything has to be checked. And if you're stopped then by the RSA, they say, did you check your truck? I did. Did you show me your car? Oh, you didn't check the lights? No, I was in a bit of a hurry. We'll pull in the side there. We'll see how they're working. And you will be pulled up there, and if you have a ball tyre or some defect on your vehicle, you won't be let move. And are you saying, Michael, there's not the same obligation on the car driver then? Is that is that? But how many dirty neuropaths will you see if loads, you're driving? Loads, yeah. Loads. loads. And it's not a big job to just give it away. Just small sip of water and just wash it in. But they don't do that. But that's the part from that indicator then. You could you could be coming out off a side road. Say if you're in Littleton for all the world now, mm. and you're coming out out onto the main street in Littleton, and you see a car coming maybe 300 yards away, and you say, well, I let him off. And just as he comes up, then he turns right, right in in front of you. You could be gone. So they don't use indicators on roundabouts anywhere. They, they, just, they just don't use them, and it's frustrating to look at either a lady or a man and then they have a mobile phone up to the rear and they're driving with one hand and then ah, there's so many things like. And you Michael, know what with, I mean? With and more, you have to look, you're looking ahead yeah. every day of the week. And with more than 60 years' experience on the road, have things deteriorated? I mean, is it worse now than it was years ago, for example? It is because the, the cars are travelling, the vehicles are travelling faster, you see. Yeah, yeah. Like in back in the, you're talking in the 80s, you were, dri- you were driving a truck at 40 miles an hour to Cork, Cork to Dublin. That was your speed limit. Yeah. If you were caught doing 42 or 3, you were done. Well, we had no motorways, I suppose. So, yeah. No, but still, like, sure, you had a perfect big long straight road and still done 40 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But you see, now you see you have faster faster cars and yeah, look at It's just, it'll never change. It's like the HSC, as your man was saying this morning. Mm-hmm. You can't just sack everybody. But mm-hmm. things are very slow. NCT is driving tests, all these, sure you could. And the council didn't like, they give so long. To do, and all councils, it's not just that. You often drove fan from Toralistic like any, did you? Sure, many, many times. A dreadful road into Freshford there, isn't it? Yeah. Correct. There's yeah. 55 bins in 17 miles. Between Orlingford and Freshford, is it? Yes, 17 bins. And if you were behind some drivers in terrible. they pressed the brakes on every bend maybe three times yeah. and they're doing 30 miles an hour or 25 miles an hour and they're on the brakes that's yeah. another <laughs> you know it's frustrating to look at well, that's, that's, that's very bad driving if, if you're somebody yeah. jamming on brakes all of the time that's really bad driving isn't it yeah, well that's what I'm saying is bad yeah. driving is doing it all and it's not just fast driving yeah. the f- fast driving okay too fast but this thing of driving at 30 miles an hour a woman told me one day, she said, a man flashed at her, you know. Mm. And I said, what do you mean he flashed out? Oh, he flashed the lights at me. Where was that? I was coming out of the town, she said, and he flashed the lights. And I pulled up. Mm. And as he went by, he waved his fist at her. Because she but was travelling too slow, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And what, what do you make of Michael? I mean, we, we had such awful tragedies over the last uh, few months on, on our roads. But the knee-jerk reaction from the government was to say, OK, we're going to bring down the, the, the speeds on our roads again. Do you think, is that useful or, or is that a waste of time? Because how do you police it on back roads, you know? Well, it's like this, Fran. There are speed limits in laneways. They are now there. They mightn't be actually laneways, but they're going from a, 
a minor road onto another minor road again, and there's 80 kilometres speed limit. Mm. Like the same road you wouldn't be doing. No. You were doing 30 kilometres, you're going too fast. Mm. But no, if you if you were in, in Nates in the morning, Fran, at 6 o'clock, mm. a lot of people mightn't even know where Nates is. Mm. But if you were in Nates, or there's, there's traffic coming off the M9 onto the other motorway, the M7, I think, mm. and you get into Nates at 6 o'clock, there are three lanes of traffic the whole way up to Newlands Cross, and then you go down the M50, whether you're going south or north, it's a traffic jam. People don't understand that. So what do you do? Slow them all down to mm. 80 kilometres? Which will make they it worse, not you think? You pile up yeah. because yeah. you'd have trucks then. Cars can't pass the truck. It's bad at the moment now. Mm. Now, I was up there several mornings, not too long ago, and the man was with me, said, what do you think of this? It's grand, I said, yeah. Mm. We've got a good few of the cars. Which one do you want to buy? Honest to God, no, it's mental. Mental. And you take the Kenny inside. It's much the same thing. Yeah. It's as bad as Dublin at 8 to 9 o'clock in the morning. It's just a disaster in there. And nobody uses in, in, indicators in a lot of these towns. And it's the same in Torlis. Same everywhere you go. They don't use indicators. Yeah, they jam on the brakes and they're going to turn left. No indicating. Yes. And that's why there's a lot of accidents. And Michael, and I, I know that... as well as other drivers. I, I, know, know. I know that there are issues with backlogs for licences and all of this kind of thing. But in fairness, we've never been as well trained to drive as we are in recent... I remember my, my father got a full truck licence, for example, full Arctic licence, everything, by just applying for it back in the day, you know. In, as you said, in 1979, because there was a backlog, I got my licence for free. So there was a whole generation of people there that got licences without testing. But it seems to me that we were almost better drivers. Well, you see, as I say, the cars wasn't this fast for a, for a, for a kick-off. The cars wasn't this fast. I don't know. I don't know. But look, at it's a bit of common sense. Everyone, everyone is not bad on the road. You have a bit of common sense. You're driving a machine that's lethal. It's a lethal machine. It can kill you. Mm. It's, it's like having a gun and you're going out and two cartridges in the gun and you don't bother. You're shooting up at a pigeon or whatever you're going to shoot. But the car is the same. You have to be careful. It's the really same as you coming into work in the morning. You leave on time, friend. I wouldn't say you're going to be getting up 20 minutes late and driving in at 60 miles an hour wherever you're going, are you? No, for sure. Oh, you for go sure. on time. Yeah, of course. And you go in and you have a cup of coffee and relax. But no, there's probably, I don't know why, there are probably 60 or 70% of people that are always in a hurry. And they call them rushers. But That's especially, them. especially in the mornings, Michael. Do you notice that in the mornings? Oh, it's mad, look madness at, going on. I'm living on that Freshford Road now. And Are you? Oh, my God, yeah. No, yeah. we all drive. It's 80 kilometres. Yeah. It's 80 kilometres. Now, there's parts you could do 100 kilometres too, if you got away with it. But it's just overtaken. I've seen it here at my house here. There could be a truck coming up the road, and he may be doing... He's doing... 80 kilometres. Well, he might be doing 80. He'd be doing 70 kilometres anyway. Mm. And there could three cars pass him. And they're heading for a, heading for a bend. Do they ever think there's three cars coming again and doing the same speed? And then you have a head-on collision. We had uh, 20 people exactly killed between uh, Orlingford and Guinea. 20 people. Oh, over what period of time, Michael? Well, over the period, I suppose. You're talking, for, uh, talking I suppose, what? Maybe 50 or 40 or whatever it is. Right. But uh, that's, there's 20 people there. Wow. And uh, it's unfortunate, like, you know, there's 
There's one one particular place there was three people killed. Right. Um, a young man and then there was um, a husband and wife as well. And I know it is very sad, very yeah. sad. But uh, how do you how do you police it? As you say, it is hard to do. It's hard. There's no doubt about it. But speed these speed vans then they're not fair either, Fran. Because if you're doing eighty-two kilometres, you're yeah. fine for doing eighty-two. Yeah. So what do you do? Look at the speed amateur all day and don't look at the road. Well, one one of the minister's actions was to put more money into those speed vans, um, you know, and, and, and to have more of them out for longer periods of time. Do you do you see anything in that, Michael? Is that going to help any? Well, if you're driving along the road and uh, you see the speed van, there might never have been an accident there. There's one up near Ballinunty. Ballinunty? Mm. Near Glingool? Yeah, I know that. Um, mm. Kilinall area. Mm. I passed one day with, with a truck there uh, ah, about four years ago. And the man was with me said, what do you say is a speed van? Oh, I'd say a grand job, I said. We were doing exactly 30 miles an hour because the road is bad. Mm. And he's sitting there. Why was he there at 30 miles an hour? Didn't make sense to you, no. That's a child. There was never anyone killed or anything up there. But he was there sitting there and he probably did catch a few hours. He probably got a few lads with cars maybe doing 85 kilometres or something. And they're in the book then. I know one man now in particular, and he had a lovely Mercedes now, a smashing car. Mm. And he got cut down in Freshford. And uh, he was doing exactly 84 kilometres. And he got the... He didn't know sure he passed, he didn't even see it probably. And he got the letter in the post, 84 kilometres. Now, whoever looked at that and said, hey, he's doing 84, look at the car he's driving. Mm. Now, they've done him for 84. I don't think that's right either. Do you, do you think, yeah, in, the tr- yeah. in the 50 kilometres, Fran, you're, are you going to be looking at the speedometer if you're coming into Tlamel or Nina? Are you going to look down ahead and stay looking ahead all the journey? Am I doing over the, tr- over the, over the 50 kilometres? You, can, you can't do that. Yeah. But, but you would know, of course, if you, were, if, if, if you were doing a ridiculous speed, you would know that very well. But I do take your but, point that you're not monitoring every... Every no, you can't do that. Yeah. No, I think to be done for maybe, what would you call it, 54 kilometres or 84 or yes. 126 on the motorway. Yes. I mean to say, I know there's people... Well, you see, the thing about France, you must remember one thing. If it's her bust on the motorway, you're doing 120. Mm. It's fairly, to be a fairly hard job to control the car, especially a back tyre, yeah, to be worse sure. than the front. Yeah. And... Uh, People don't think of that. And you really, you want good tyres, you want good brakes, you want your car serviced properly and all, but mm. a lot of people don't mind. See oh. a fellow there, he had, um, he had no NCT, I think, for eight years. Oh. And then he was caught after eight years, you know. So all right, took Michael. His car. Well, it was great to talk to you, Michael, and, and safe driving to you. And thanks very much for coming on with me, Michael. You keep on the right side of the road now. <laughs> I will indeed. Especially if you're coming down, if you're coming down to Freshwood. Well, I often pass by your door, so I'll, I'll beep the horn next time around. Look after yourself, Michael. Okay, good luck, That's Michael. Sixty more than sixty years on the road. So there's a man speaking from experience. I'll be right back in just a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If Vicky Phelan was still alive, she would dismiss former Chief Medical Officer Tony Holohan's uh, new book as Self-Serving Revisionism. And that's what we heard from casual-based solicitor Keanu Carroll on the show last week. He also disputed uh, Dr Holohan's claims that the cervical check screening service did not fail women. Mary joins me now. Mary, good morning to you. Good morning. You have some strong feelings about Tony Holohan's uh, new book, Mary. I haven't read the book. I don't, I've just... If, I just feel we could have all wrote a book. Hmm. I mean... When it comes to um, scandals in Ireland, there's been numerous scandals. I've been a victim of one myself. There's Vicky Phelan. I mean, so so many to- Tony Hoolahans have dismissed scandals when they're related to women. And, and you, he's written... Yeah, I beg your pardon, Mary. You said that he's making money out of people's misery with this book. Well, I would hope the money is going to charity or going back into the health service or something. I haven't heard whether the money is for himself. Yeah, well, we, we have we've no all indication been, of where, where the profits will go. But uh, No. Yeah. Um, we've all suffered as a result of COVID. Hmm. I mean, I feel the restrictions were just horrendous. Where they needed, like we've had old people die in nursing homes, my mum died in the nursing home. We were deprived, even though she was in a room in her own, we were deprived of being with my mum. I couldn't understand why, really, because we weren't going to give COVID to a dying woman no more than she was going to give it to us. The healthcare workers could have stepped back and let us be with our mum. We uh, have did now. Did she die on her own? Did she die on oh, her yes, own? Oh, yes, died on her own. I mean, well, at the last minute, two family members, even though we were a large family you know, were allowed in. You know, yes. we can say, oh, is this member allowed in? Why weren't we allowed to be by? I mean, a mum of a large family life, as we will always read, their family by their bedside. Yes, yeah. I mean, not just my mum, loads of people were in situations. And Mary, uh, I... We had mental health issues. And that must we weren't have been... allowed... That must have been very traumatic for you and your family, Mary. But could I put it to you, what they would probably say to you is that, you know, we were following the science, we were doing what we thought best at the time, we were looking at international experience and all of that. Does that mean anything to you when you're grieving about your mum? Yes and no, because she how far there was I don't think there was there was a need to go that far. I think they should have mm-hmm. stood back and said, Well, if we have a patient that's dying in a room on their own, um yeah. what risk you know, if we're tested going in and out, there isn't a higher risk. Yeah. And the same when it came to I mean now we have the spin off mental health, we also have the spin off the spin off of all the people that were neglected for all other health issues yes, cancer, as a result of cancer people, and heart cancer, problems. Yes, yeah. cancer and heart problems, yeah. all those issues, because the hospitals literally closed down, except for COVID patients. And I think 
management and part of the Tony Hoolands of the world, that there was no need for such strict rules. And Mary, some people might argue that, you know, at least with the book, whether we agree or disagree with Mr. Holohan, um, we're getting his side of it and we might be getting some insight into his thinking and his decision-making around that time. Is that of any value, for example? I think it's just, it's, it's all about now trying to prove he was right. Why, if you think, why, if you feel I did the right thing, do you now need convince people that you did the right thing? Mm. That's what I look at. While you're making money at the same time. And the human aspect of his story that he, his wife was dying through this time and he had to... I have the deepest sympathy yeah. for how many more of us out there, how many more husbands, wives, I mean, women, I know a woman, she couldn't go to her husband's funeral. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm sure he was at his wife's funeral, my deepest sympathy to him. I, but there's all those people, can they write, will they write books? Can they write books? Tony Hoos got in there before everybody else. Like, it's, it's a bit, um, it's a bit, I think, you know, I think he could have just sat back, let it all go. And unless he's trying to prove, it's, it's about proving. Obviously, has something he wants to prove or convince us all that yeah. he was right. That he wanted his side of the story out there, is that it? Yeah. And documented yeah. and so we can all look for sympathy, all the issues where we can look for sympathy and even see with the fallout, mm. people not being able to get hospital appointments. Still today, look at the health services. People aren't able to get appointments. Everything is pushed forward. If you want a doctor's peace appointment today, wait in three weeks, and certainly be at a private, private or public patient, you can wait weeks to get any appointment. Mm. That's not the same in other countries in the world. And, there's and a I have a large, experience of that. A large increase in, in deaths as well. And, you know, some people's answer to that is that people weren't properly cared for during COVID and no, you know, maybe not were, diagnosed in time. And, yeah. There's so many hospitals literally closed on. We can say they were busy because of COVID. Hmm. I'm beginning to wonder greatly, were they busy? What, what do you mean they by were that? Busy with COVID. They were busy with COVID patients. But I mean, we, we saw an incident where private consultants weren't working in the public service. Yeah. They refused to work in public service at the time. People can remember that incident when they were asked, would they work? And they wouldn't, some of them. Would you, do you think when people look back on this, Mary, that there will be a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blaming, do you think? Well, we're a country that let a lot of things go when it comes to healthcare. Yeah. That, that's, that's the problem in Ireland. Oh, doctors are God. And I think what we have is, okay, health professionals, they do a great job. They did a great job to, during COVID. We all hailed them heroes. Mm. Yes, they were the heroes. And the soldier trains to be a soldier and goes to war. He trains to be a soldier. 
You may not have to go to war. That's but if what there is they do. War, yeah, yeah, that's what they yeah. do. And I, that's can, what, yeah. I can never understand that, Mary, and I've been against it all my life. This notion of just because somebody is a consultant that they are godlike in, in some way. They may be very skilled, but I know a lot of people that are very skilled. You know what I mean? Um, I can never understand that talking down to people. And I know there's some excellent consultants out there, but I've heard horror stories as well. People with no empathy, with no proper bedside well, manner, you know? I totally 100% agree with you. They have no empathy. And I feel myself... Well, not all of them, but cer- certainly a few. Not all sure. of them, yeah. but very few, very few. I can say myself, especially since COVID, my dealings, and I've had quite a few recently, not just myself, but with family members, they have less empathy. They have become the coldest, the vast majority of them. And is that because yes. they're so busy, Mary? Or is no, that just no, an excuse? No, I don't. I think they've put themselves on, on pedestals now. But you don't ask them questions. You certainly don't question them. You do not question them. But, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't you, accept that, have, Mary, and I'm sure you're the kind that you wouldn't accept. I do not either. accept it. I have been dealing of recent, I'm not mentioning cases, no. with a very close family member, yeah. with a uh, cancer patient, and I have experienced with oncologists, and I have been uh, horrified. I've had a health issue myself for 20 years. I've left Ireland because of arrogance. I'm a hep C patient. I've left Ireland from a treatment abroad. I have been through COVID. I've had a health issue that was, I was told I didn't have. And I went into a hospital abroad. And I was told, complete opposite of what I was told here. And when you meet doctors here, public, I'm talking now, I'm not comparing public at home. I'm comparing private in Ireland right. with private abroad. And the difference. And the family member would have said to me, close family member, oh, it's because, because you're paying. Sorry, that family member since have had to go from a doctor in Ireland to a doctor abroad. And he was, he was shocked at, at the, the compassion, yeah. Yeah. at the difference. Right. They're a care profession. Mary, I'm heading towards care- news, which is a pity because I could talk yeah. to you all day. But thank you so much for your contribution this morning, Mary. Yeah. Really Caring is you. gone out of our medical profession in Ireland. They're my last word. Caring no longer exists in Ireland. All right, Mary. We don't Thank longer have a caring profession. Thank you, and uh, good morning to you, Mary. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. 1800 938 007. Now the Justice Minister... Uh, McEntee, she was asked if she would intervene, uh, this was over the weekend, to resolve the dispute between the rank-and-file guardie and the commissioner. She said, I will not direct the Garda commissioner, nor will I direct members as to where and when or how they should be working, because that is essentially what I would be doing in directing the commissioner to not implement a particular type of roster. She said that uh, should not be part of the role of the Minister for Justice. And as I say, she was speaking on uh, RT over the weekend about this and she said that uh, various Garda representative organisations are continuing to meet uh, Mr Harris. It's interesting that she doesn't see that as part of her role, but I mean, 
where a stalemate situation is concerned, surely there should be some sort of intervention there. But anyway, one of our listeners has an interesting take on this and says, Fran, what about the Gardaí doing what they like as well? And this is making reference to somebody saying that uh, people working in the HSE are doing what they like. Anyway, this listener says, what about the Gardaí doing what they like to need to get their fingers out and act like the professional body that they should be? They say they're overworked, but they want 10 million in overtime as well. Usual story here. Half can't pass the fitness test. If some of them did their jobs better and earned respect, the force might be in a better place than it is now. So very strong words there indeed from one of uh, our listeners. Now, my my old friend Paul Lafford was on to me and this is about road safety and uh, the like and he says, you drive late at night as well, Fran, just like I do. Tell me if I'm wrong, but drink driving is rampant. I was driving between Yall and Tallow a few weeks ago. It's a big, wide and safe road and a motorist was entering the road up ahead at a junction. He drove straight in front of me and only barely made the turn, nearly hitting the ditch on the other side of the road. Pre-COVID, you'd always meet the guards on that particular road. Now there's not a sign of them, but there's plenty of speed vans hiding and picking up easy revenue. And that's Paul on to us today, 083-311-3311. Now, we spoke to Father Michael Toomey last week about St. Anthony, because, as you know, St. Anthony has been crowned Ireland's most popular saint with that poll that was conducted at the National Ploughing Championships. We had a huge reaction to the piece with all sorts of stories about how St. Anthony found various different things for listeners over the years. Anyway, Colette joins me now. Good morning to you, Colette. Hi, Fern. How are you? I'm very well indeed, but lovely to talk to you today. You have a lovely you story too. about your, your daughter. I know she's nearly 20 now, but when she was very young, will you tell me about her, her St. Anthony story? Yeah, she was just one of those children, Fran, that it was everything she put down, it just went missing. <laughs> so it was a case of, ma'am, did you see this? Did you see that? And one night I said, I, I knew where whatever she was looking for was, mm. but I thought, here, I'll let you sweat it out now for a while. And I just said to her, if you pray to St. Anthony, I said, he'll find it for you, but you have to give him a coin. Mm. So she said, right. So anyway, she wrote her letter as she would the tooth fairy, and she said, dear St. Anthony, blah, blah, blah on it. And when she was asleep, I went up and I went under the pillow and I took out the letter and put it into her memory box. And I wrote it, wrote a reply back to her. And I took the coin, I put it into her box, but need to say it came out of my own pocket then. So... The next morning, whatever she was looking for was at the side of the bed, and she was delighted with life. So, anyway, it happened a couple of turns. Rather than look for something, St. Anthony was called upon. She was only about five or six at the time. Mm. So, she was getting, it was just getting very handy for her. Um, so, she'd write the letter to St. Anthony again the next night and look for whatever. And on the third or fourth occasion, I was up and I read the letter, and it was. Uh, hi St. Anne's so I thought then right they're on they're on first name terms very familiar so, altogether yeah I love yeah. it <laughs> so um, but yeah she it was it, look it just went on for a long time mm. um, but he was he was St. Anne's not St. Anthony and then I went to high end so I was getting shorter and <laughs> shorter all the time so in the end uh, in the end it. she realised right this is costing me money <laughs> so she she'd end up looking for the thing but um but was it a no, case, anything? Colette, that she got lazy and she was just not bothering then? She'd left everything to ants, as she called them. Yeah. Ants, yeah. yeah. But sure, it was easier for her to get someone else to look for it and give him the euro 
then for her to look for it. I'm like at five or six, they just put down things that they're looking for it and it's in front of them, they don't even see it. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I had a little giggle to myself when I saw the high saint dance over here. We're getting too familiar here now. That's great. <laughs> but, and did she um, get that from you, Colette? I mean, were you a devotee of St. Anthony? <clears throat> did you? I would, I would if I was would you? No, having to yeah. that friend. I would I would look for something first and if all else fails, if I can't find because nine times out of ten, what you're looking for is right in front of you, but you don't see it. Mm. Um I would I'd pray to say I'd just say Saint Anthony, please what is what I used to say, Saint Anthony looks, Saint Anthony finds, Saint Anthony put it in front of my two eyes. <laughs> um and you'll find it as soon as you see it, it will be in front of you. So then it's gonna cost you money. But I remember one night, oh, it was a while back now, we were we were we were at mass. And like that, I owe some money. Mm. And I just said to her, you give that to St. Anthony while I go and light a few candles, because I do love the candles. Mm. And when I handed her the 20 euro, because needless to say, it had built up over time, she says to me, this is a money-making rack. No, she was not yes. do it. Or she said, give that to St. Anthony when you're passing. So I know my own, in the back of her head, she's actually thinking, yeah, if I... If I if I don't have to look for it, he'll find it. But um, yeah, but the funny thing about it was she would always, anytime she would be talking about him, he was always saying dance. You know, she never after that, and she never went back to say dance me. Yeah. But she went. She was off there recently, and the World Youth Day in Lisbon. And I couldn't believe it. When she sent me a text, she goes, "Ma'am, we we went to St. Dan's house today where he was poor." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it yeah. was. So I do have a giggle to myself because we kept the letters. Oh, um, I'll show him to her someday, but yeah, he ended up like the he ended up like the tooth fairy. But <laughs> <laughs> so look, to see, to see the innocence of it, you know. But yeah, maybe Saint Anthony was too long to write, and she was five Saint or six. Ants. Yeah. So, so it was easy. Hi, Anne. Yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, she was on so very familiar terms. I that. guess there's no surprise to you then, Colette, to realise that he's Ireland's. Well, according to the poll at the Plowing Challenge, <laughs> he's Ireland's favourite saint. I think so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I. Yeah, I suppose after our own favourite saint and St. Patrick, we would always... Mm. Well, like, I suppose we all lose things and we all want to find things. And I suppose leaving the... What is it? Hope, uh, hopeless cases, isn't it? Or oh, yeah. Patrons lost of hopeless causes. cases, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would always kind of... You know, you give him money and he'll find it for you. So I suppose, yeah, that reason alone, it's worth, sometimes it's worth it, even though the, the money goes up and up if you can't mm. find it. And, Colette, um, do you actually believe that he has an input into finding whatever it is you... Do you, do you actually believe that? Um, yeah, I, I do, because I do just... You? Yeah. <laughs> when you offer When you offer the money, you're going to find. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of mercenary, yeah. though, isn't he? Like, I mean, if you don't pay up... Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, no, you always have to pay up for it. Yeah, always suppose, pay up. Yeah. Um, yeah um, no, I suppose, look, we do. And even at the back of our minds, I suppose we were reared. As they mentioned, and he'll find it. So you kind of just automatically just, go yeah. with it, you there's, know. There's so, a friend of mine yeah. who believes in him greatly, and she always describes him as he's expensive, but he's good. So, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But look, anything you have to pay for is good, anyway, isn't it? So no, as I said, I just had that little giggle to myself, you know. And when she texted me then, as I said from Lisbon, and she's, "Ma'am, I was in Saint Dan's house today where he was born." Oh, I love that. I <laughs> that was only that. recently, so he's still ants in our house, you know. <laughs> Um, I'm going to pray to ants. I love that. I'm going to yeah. remember that as well. And, and would you describe yourself as religious, Colette? Do you mind my asking? Would you be a religious person? I do my own praying my own way, okay. friend. I wouldn't yeah. shove religion down anyone's throat. Like if I if I want to go to mass, I go. Yeah. Um, I, I do like mass. I I won't deny it. I do. 
Um, and I wouldn't, like, I don't laugh or I wouldn't mock religion. Mm. But, yeah, I would, yeah, I often mm. got up here on a Sunday morning and said, here, I'm going to mess with knock and I said, oh, so, like, it's only just over two hours. Yeah, so, um, I, I suppose, look, and we, and we younger, if it's drilled into us and we kind of fought back, but as you get older, you kind of realise that you're always praying for someone's health or lighting candles for them. But I suppose between the praying and the candles, I would go with the candles first. Lighting candles for people. Yeah, funnily enough, I, I'm not religious as as such, but I love the notion of if somebody says, I lit a candle for you, I, t- I, <coughs> I think that's gorgeous. I think it's just a beautiful thing to do, you know. Yeah, I light candles and yeah. if someone said I'd say a prayer for you, I'd say, no, light candles for me. Even mm. if it's only the Christmas candle on the worktop, it's just a flame, you know, where there's light, where there's, light there's hope, you know. So, yeah, um, I just do it my own way, friend, you know. As I said, we all retaliated and... Yeah, yeah, of course. You yeah. know, we, we were dragged to churches as children because there were different times. Um, whereas now you can get it online and that, you know, you don't have to go into a church. But, yeah, I do believe you have to have someone on your side, you know, for when you are in trouble. Who do and, we turn and to? when you jump into the car and you drive to knock, for example, as you described, that, what would prompt that, Colette? Would it be something that would be going on in your life at that point or that you'd need no, help I, with? No, I just... I just love knocking. I love the peace. I am up there just walking around. Do you? Yeah. Um, I do, yeah, because I feel however bad you are yourself, there's always someone worse than you. Oh, thank God, health-wise, like, I, I'm good. Um, all my family are good. But, no, I just love knock. But as a child, I hated it because we were dragged. Because yeah. we were in Cork and you were dragged like half, four, five o'clock on a bus. You had oh, to go to knock. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it could be midnight or one o'clock in the morning when you get home. You stop for the sandwiches along the way. I think it was the Limerick Inn at the time we used to stop at in the car park. Yes. So it's not a thing as restaurants or hotels. Yeah, you so brought her with you. It was yeah. a chore. It was a chore to go, do you know. So, no, I'm, I've had some of the best cracks on weekends in knock. I think it was a couple of weeks ago in one of the newspapers there was a big sort of expose about how tacky uh, Knock was in terms of you know all the various <laughs> stuff that's for sale in, 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 in the little little shops and uh, the like does that does that concern you at all Colette no? Well it's like it's like the leprechauns in Killarney once you go into one shop you've seen them all um, especially yeah. souvenir shops so um no, I'm like if someone has if someone had a baby, I'd bring back. I'd get a candle for the christening. You know, if I knew they were getting christened, I'd bring back a blessed candle or something for them. Yes. Um, but I'm like, you have to look at the bigger picture. Yes, I suppose. Look, they're all trying to make a living, and I suppose the fact that you've burned the shop there at the entrance, <clears throat> you know, it was one of their relations, it was one of the apparitions. Mm. You know, and mm. they still talk to you about it, and like. There's some great mm. tours and that on above around Knock as well. You know, if you were to spend a day or two days there. But yeah, I oh know I just like Knock. I like the peace of it. Um, and as I said, everyone kind of goes there for the mm. same thing, you know. Um, yeah, would you believe last night I was in Clare Morris? I was only a few miles from from it. But I haven't. Oh, be, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll have to do so, Colette. On, <clears throat> on your recommendation, I might do so. Uh, but I haven't been there for, I don't know, 40 years, maybe more. Yeah. Well, I, it could have been 40 years, friend, in between when I was first dragged there yeah. against when I went. I saw since COVID, we all wanted to go places we couldn't go during COVID lockdowns and that. Yeah. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm. I used to make great friends with different people because I, out of, to pass the time, I used to go to Mass online with Knock Shrine every night. It was somewhere to go during lockdown. Was it? Um, yeah. Wow. And, 
different people would make contact with you. And I have met all those, like one woman from New York, a woman from Sligo who's now living in London, another woman in Cork, a woman from Tyrone, a woman from Oma. So they'd all come down and we'd meet and knock and we'd make a weekend of it. Um, lovely. And it's, mm. it's lovely, you know, because you have new friends, new interests, you know, but you just go around. But and what would you do, Colette? Uh, when you'd meet up, what would you do? Oh, no, I'm going to restaurants that don't have a chat. Yeah. Um, then you, I suppose because you're there, you want to go to Mass. You're not made. You want to do these things. They're mm. there. Um, you know, even the old chapel up there, <clears throat> um, the old parish church. You know, when I go up, it reminds me, it just reminds me so much of when I used to be going to Mass with my grandmother. You know, when she was alive, you know, we'd always go to her place on a Saturday night. We'd take it in turns. Yeah. Then you'd get up and this fasting of, an, was it an hour before you went to Mass? Because mm. you couldn't mm. receive communion. Right, yeah. But just going there just reminds me of, it just takes me back to when I used to go to Mass with my grandmother at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. And then you go across the road and you'd have the breakfast after. You know, um, so lo- lovely memories. And, and could I be so inquisitive as to ask, do you go to confession when you're there, for example, Colette? Um, I have been to knock and knock to confession. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. I have been, yeah, I would. Would you? Uh, yeah. No, having to that friend, I wouldn't go every time I go, but I would always try and go for Easter and Christmas um, in between. Yeah. Sure. And what how, how do you friend? feel after that, Colette? Is, is that a. Is that a, a sort of rejuvenation for you when you go to confession? For example? Sure, I suppose, Fran, if the truth was told, I have the same sins since I went to confession <laughs> for my first Holy <laughs> And that's over 50 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, what sins do we have? Do you know, once you're kind of kind to people and yeah. don't do any harm and you don't murder anyone, sure, what do we do? We tell white lies, that's it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the white lies friends, are just to make people feel better, I suppose, you know? So. Well, look, you don't tell... You, I know. Tell your children little white lies, you know, um, but no, you wouldn't. I mean, why don't you go out and do, do good every day, sure? You yeah. know, be nice to people. What what have you to confess, you know? But just to go through the motions, I suppose. I, yeah, I, would it, it. I, suppose I wouldn't yeah. feel pressure to do it. And if someone said to me, you have to go to confession, then I'd say, no, I don't have to. Do you know, I do it when I want a friend, yeah. not when I'm too old. That was most interesting. And and your daughter, I mean, while she's still fond of and uh, fond of ants, uh, do, do, ants, does she does she believe in the same way as you do, Colette? Or, I, well, she does her own thing, friend. Yeah, well, like yeah. I don't, I wouldn't shove it down her throat. But if, like she wouldn't. I know for a long time there, now she was going to secondary school. We'd go to eight o'clock mass in town. Would but you? then the mass was changed. God, she would. Yeah, no, yeah. like that. Now she'd have to be dragged to mass when she was a child. But um, all of a sudden, they know she'd she'd ask could she go to mass or she would she join in? No, she's involved in the folk group here in Templemore as well, and she absolutely loves it. Um, she plays music with them, and she loves it. But I suppose look for twenty friends, she's doing well, you yeah, know. Of course, of course, yeah. That sounds great, Coletta. It was lovely to talk to you. Real pleasure. And you too, friend. Real pleasure, and uh, thank you very much indeed. And light a candle for me, will you? Absolutely. The next time I'm knocking, I'll send you a text to you when it's I'll, happening. I'll keep you to that. Thanks so much, Colette. Thank Not you. Bye bye, Bye bye. Bye bye. That's bye, Colette bye. speaking to us from Templemore today. 1800 Fran, I went to school in Mellory. I go up there once a year because there's peace up there and uh, no other place like it. You know, Mellory is a very, I agree with you on that, a very, very special place. There's something about 
uh, Mallory, and there's something about that church there uh, for sure. Okay, lots more people uh, onto us on text and WhatsApp. I'll, I'll have it glance through it and I'll bring it to you in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie A gorgeous St. Anthony story. Fran, my daughter lost an envelope yesterday with her wages in it. We drove back into where she got into the car after work. I prayed to St. Anthony all the way in in the car. Ten minutes walking up and down the street, we decided to knock on the door of a house and, oh my God, that owner of the house had picked up the envelope and left it in his kitchen in case somebody came looking for it. How lucky was my daughter. Her wages was in the envelope. She never cried as much. And a huge thank you to the gentleman who found it and to St. Anthony for directing us to the man's door. Isn't that an incredible story altogether? On 083 311 Now, Secrets from the Dance Floor will air on RTE1 tonight from jive classes in Copper's Nightclub to uh, bopping in the ballroom in Feathert. The dance floors around Ireland are hopping every night of the week. So, Secrets from the Dance Floor is episode one of a, a three-part series that seemingly, at least they tell us, will lift the lid to reveal the inner workings of various areas of life in Ireland. Well, my old friend uh, Sean O'Donovan is one of the contributors uh, tonight. And Sean, of course, very heavily involved with lovely feathered ballroom. And he joins me now. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Fran. Uh, great to talk to you again, Sean. We had and a good old too, chat on, on Saturday Thanks nights as well. We had indeed. Um, t- a, lovely, a lovely occasion there on Saturday night. One of our regular dancers, um, Tommy Friday, celebrates his 95th birthday. Too many now get to do that, and especially get to do it when they can give the night dancing on the floor. Yeah. But it was, it was a lovely night, most enjoyable. Fantastic. Yeah, about two, 250 people or so there celebrating yeah, along with him. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we wish, wish Tommy well. Tell me about uh, tonight, Sean, in as much as you know, because as of you course... Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me what you know about know, it. The one thing I do know is there are several contributors to this programme and what I also know is we celebrated our 30th anniversary of social dancing on the 17th of March, and the filming was done around that time. Now, we're down, they were down with us, I think, um, three times, definitely. Mm. And um, however much they're going to put on or how much we're featured, I know we're definitely going to be a contributor, um, you know, among others. So there's a bit of suspense, I suppose, about the whole thing, but uh, we're looking forward to it anyway, mm. whatever happens. Well, is it lovely to have been chosen, Sean, because there's so many venues around the country. Now, I know quite a few of them will be featured tonight, but, you know, to be picked out as one of those venues is a great tribute to everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely, friend. But I suppose it's going back to the history of Feathered Ballroom. Like, it's there since the 40s, and um, there's dancing going on there initially as a cinema. And then from the 60s, it was a ballroom, and it more or less has been continuous, I think, with the exception of a couple of years, maybe in the 80s, where there hasn't been dancing going on there. And as well as that, in it would be one of the best in the country and most original. And the floor, um, you know, this isn't just me saying it now, but dancers come from everywhere. And the first thing they remark is, it's fantastic floor, and that was put down in the 60s. So I suppose for that reason, together with, um, you know, a little bit of work maybe on our own behalf, telling the story to them at the time, 
um, they did choose Feathered and, and we were delighted and, and I suppose honoured in a way, way to be chosen and um, mm. yes we'll be looking forward to see what, what they it's, it's not the first time Sean that the national media spotlight would have been shown on uh, the ballroom there no friend um, yeah Feathered was always kind of a very prominent um, you know dance venue yeah. and you mm. know there would have been cameras there on other occasions over the years I suppose the time the big bands were there was one of the like, that was back in the 70s and um, yeah, it often hit the headline, headlines. Of course, yeah. You, 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 I know a lot of work in the last uh, few years there in terms of bringing the the ballroom up to modern standards and uh, the like. It looks fantastic at the moment. Yeah, of course, we want to bring it up to modern standards and yet retain its originality. The charm, yes. And yeah. um, lucky enough, I think we have done that quite successfully. And no, it's very good at the moment. No one should last away. You know, I suppose it's still an old building. There'll be all of bits and pieces of maintenance or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, there's definitely a good few years for you know into the future. And I suppose another thing that we're very happy about is um, the way dancing is going. Now, it isn't just alone in Feather, but as you know, you know, all over the country, really. And we have just come up with an initiative there this year now where we have um, linked up a kind of a partnership with Declan Roach. Declan now is a very well-known dance teacher and promoter and, and has been involved in dancing for many years. And Declan is actually on sequence for, for the dance floor tonight mm. with um, a 103-year-old man called James McManus, a Kilkenny man, um, who's still dancing, and Declan comes up to us now on Monday night, and we're doing dance lessons. People just often say to me, you know, we'd love to go, but we can't dance. Yeah. And we said we'd have a go at trying to maybe <laughs> sort some of those people out. But um, yeah, it's just great. We're yeah. this well, he, he's one of the best now. in the business, as you know, oh, absolutely. Sean. He's one of the best in the business, teacher, yeah. 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 Well, as he said to me, the first night will be kind of two of the best in the business, themselves and ourselves. Um, you know, joining up to do this, and, and it's really after taking off. So, like, what we're hoping down the road from our own point of view is that we'll be getting new people in, which we are, and, and, and younger people as yeah, well. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it is right across all ages, and, you know, apart from the social end of it and the dancing end of it, it's a great exercise for people. Of course it is. And, and um, what about the so? I mean, you're there along with uh, Eileen and Seamus and Bridget every single week. Um, what do you see in terms of the social aspect of it, Sean, and the importance well, of I think that? That's probably the most important thing, Fran, is people come there. Um, a lot of people would actually, maybe, you know, they might have had an event in their life of bereavement or, you know, for different mm. reasons. And, you know, like I suppose the pub scene now has changed and whatever. And, you know, they would come or maybe inquire about coming. And the next thing, you know, they're all welcome with open arms. And it isn't just by ourselves, maybe on the committee, but by the, the other dancers and whatever as well. So it's a very probably safe, mm. uh, you know, social environment and most enjoyable and, um, you know, they get a cup of tea there and have the chat and do the bit of dancing. And, you know, now they have the opportunity to learn dance, to dance as well there at 8 o'clock on a Monday which, night. Which is great. And, you know, Sean, yeah. when I tell people, particularly other musician friends of mine, when I tell them we play gigs in places like Feathered where there is no alcohol at all, for <laughs> say, yeah. they, they, they just can't get their heads around this. You know, it's a cup of tea, well, you know. thought about that myself, like, a few years ago. I was struggling a little bit there. And, uh, you know, we're saying, how can we get this thing going and get back on track again? And, you know, with the fact there was no alcohol, we were saying, Jesus, is it possible at all? But amazingly, it is. Mm. You know how they want to do yeah. it? You know, dance and drink water and have the cup of tea there around 10 o'clock. And um, last night, you now we had a brilliant night again. Um, huge crowd. We're getting, you know, constant, um, you know, big yeah. support there every week, really. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's great. But it's the volunteer element that I, again, I can't get my head around. People giving up their time to come yeah. and, and organise this and look after and supervise it, you know. 
it come, becomes, should I say, a party of life for a certain time in your life. I don't know, um, you know how long more maybe we'll be around or whatever, but I know with these things, friend, and the same as any organisation I've been involved in differently, you go in, you stay a while, you give your absolute best, mm. and then maybe it is time to move on and let others take it on. And, you know, oftentimes they bring it further than you were able to bring it. And, you know, I think that's the, the whole thing about volunteering. And maybe, like, there's a little bit, maybe not to stay around too long, I suppose, because yeah. I don't know if that's actually good, good for any organisation. But, yeah. yeah, at the moment we have um, lovely people involved into that. Their mission is very good and... Um, you know, we all get on well and, yeah, it's just fantastic. Sure, isn't, isn't it great? What's coming up, Sean? Anything we should know about uh, coming up in the near future? Um, we'll have our Christmas party there, I think, um, the first week of December. That's always a great night. Yes. Yeah. And other than that, our dance is like every night is a great night, really, you know. Yeah. I just want to mention... Um, Ruth and John Connolly as well. I think they are featured on the programme tonight. Are, in fact, they'll be speaking to Ruth in a few moments' time. Yeah. Enough. yeah. Are you? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just want to mention they'd be some of our um, regular dancers as well. And I just want to acknowledge them and they won a great competition there back early in the year. Yeah. Um, a, a jive and um, cha-cha, wasn't it? Yeah. They won the All-Ireland in that. And, you know, congratulations. And you know, well where, wherever they go, John, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, they bring a bit of colour to the place as well. Oh, you absolutely. Know, don't they? Yes. You know, they often do maybe a, a bit of a guest spot there. Yes. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just lovely to watch them there and they're fantastic. Oh, and sure. totally committed. Like, they, their lives, you know, they're everywhere. They're a bit dancing and... Uh, Another great promotion for, for the dancing. Well, that's that's for sure, indeed. Well, Sean, tonight I think it's twenty five to ten, isn't it? As far yeah, as twenty five to ten. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know what time we are on now at all, mm. but um, yeah, twenty five to ten. And I think there's a little bit of confusion out there in that people think that this is um, the series is featuring dancing over the three nights. But no, tonight it's not. It's actually yeah. the only night. No, just the one yeah. night. Yeah, I so think it's, it's, it's on the RT player as well, so if people can catch it tonight. I'm sure they'll be able to catch it at another time. All right. Well, Sean, um, the star of RTE and everything. Uh, great, great to talk to you. Oh, well, that's fair enough, right? <laughs> and we look forward to tonight. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, friend. Thank Thanks you. Bye bye. That's uh, Sean O'Donovan there of Feathered uh, Ballroom. I think the, the full name is Feathered and Kilusty uh, Ballroom is there. We'll, we'll take a break. Um, we're back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1 800 938 007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Lovely St. Anthony's stories. Tammy was on to say, Hi Fran, my dog Rascal went missing for nine days seven years ago and I was distraught. Uh, I met this lovely lady and she gave me a rhyme for St. Anthony. And it was Tony, Tony, look around, something lost and must be found. And it goes on then, it gets a little clutter here, so I'm not sure about the rest of the rhyme. But anyway, Tammy says, literally, after half an hour um, from when I said the rhyme, uh, my son heard a whimper and we found the dog trapped down a hole behind a neighbour's home. And we had been out searching for days and days. So I have great belief in him. And that comes in from Tammy today. Isn't that incredible altogether? Dog missing for nine days, seven years ago. Little rhyme and a prayer to St. Anthony. And the dog is found. Isn't it amazing? Just before the break, we spoke to Sean O'Donovan there from Feathered Ballroom about the RTE programme tonight, Secrets of the Dance Floor. And it's on at uh, 25 to 10, I understand. But Ruth Nolan, 
along with her husband John, are featured dancers on the show tonight. And she joins me now. Ruth, good morning to you. Uh, hi, hi, Fan. Good morning. How are you keeping? I'm very well, Ruth, and lovely to talk to you uh, again. We had a good old chat on uh, Saturday night. You were telling me about this programme because not only were you recorded in Feathered, they recorded yourself and John in several locations for, for tonight. Is that it? Uh, yes, uh, yes, um, Fran. We'd say my husband and I. Uh, we'd say John. Uh, we we were recorded. We'd say uh, as part as part of we'd say the the Declan Roach uh, Dancing Club in Yall, Waterford, and Cork. Um, in Declan Roach, we'd say group classes. Mm. Uh, we were also then we'd say recorded at the All Ireland uh, Ballroom Championship, and we were also recorded at the Irish Open Ballroom and uh, Irish Open Ballroom and Latin Championships in Carlow. Wow. And uh, and uh, John and I, we'd say we but we both won. We'd say the drive and the cha cha. So we were absolutely delighted with ourselves. We had a great time, and we were also then. We'd say recorded in, we'd say feathered ballroom, and um, we'd say, of course, wish wish our great friend Sean a, a fabulous, beautiful floor over there, fabulous ballroom, and then we were also recorded in the Shearwater and Band the Slow. So uh, we, we we were recorded a lot of places. Uh, we'd say around Ireland. Uh, we'd say with, with the RT and uh, the, the, the main two people were Claire and Kenny. So a big thanks to them for, for recording us. And did so they interview you both as well, Ruth, as well as filming you dancing? Did did you chat to them? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we uh, we also we also did. Uh, we'd say various interviews about how we met the dancing and my life story. We'd say through the dancing from when I started to learn all the way up to now and all the different parts of the dancing in our favourite places we like to go and our dances and all the lovely people we meet. And it was a fabulous experience now, really good experience. Like, we absolutely loved it. Mm. So we did. Like all all the bands, Ruth, we love to see you and John coming along because you put a spark of colour and a spark of energy into everything and you you did some solo dancing for us on the Saturday night. It was just absolutely amazing. How important is dancing to you both, Ruth? Oh, like, like, oh, like, dancing is so important, like, to both of us. Like, we absolutely love dancing. Uh, like, uh, like, I started dancing, uh, we'd say, when I was three and a half. Uh, I started, we'd say, with Pauline Dewan in Thurlis. Mm. And it was very funny. Um, like, because I was so young when I started dancing, when I used to get tired, I used to sit on the floor and Mrs. Dewan, we'd say, would carry me around and try and get me going again. So it was very funny. And then also through secondary school then, I also took part in different, mus- uh, different musicals in the presentation of secondary school in Thurlis. And then also I was in musicals as part of the Mind Society. Mm. And then uh, then actually then how I got into the ballroom, Latin and Jive, was uh, we'd say my mum, we'd say Margaret Nolan, my father, Johnny Nolan, uh, they used to run years ago at fundraiser dances for Albania. Mm. And I, I attended uh, those dances 
And when, when I saw how good the piece worked, the piece worked to dance. And my mum also ran competitions. And I said, God, I said, you know, I'd love to be able to do like the ballroom Latin jiving and take part and all the dress up. And I just loved it. So I decided then to learn to dance. So I got lessons then. I, I got lessons then in each of the dances. And I went dancing then all around Ireland, we'd say, with mum and dad. And then I met, I met, we'd say, my now husband, John. And we, we, we became dancing partners. And we started competing. And we, and we, start, we started going on dancing breaks, dancing weekends, um, foreign trips where, where you go dancing. And then we'd say, uh, we also then, uh, we also then we'd say attended, we did the gala concert and that was celebrating 200 years of the presentation, Sisters and Thurlis, mm. and a, a former pupil of the school, um, Magella O'Donnell, and of course her husband, Danny O'Donnell, uh, we'd say Magella was a past pupil, yes. and and she she sang a few songs with her husband, and John and I danced a cha-cha and a jive at that. So it was a fabulous like experience altogether. And, and, and tell me, Ruth. I mean, it really has taken over your, your your life. But I have to be careful now that I don't offend too many many of my friends when I say you're you're much younger than the general people that are are dancing. Does that concern you at all? I, I actually, actually uh, no. Actually, we we say it doesn't because uh, because like I always say to people that 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 I meet is that like dancing like is for every age like it's for every age it's for every level like you can just go out and have the fun have the laugh mm. uh, you can go and compete and take it serious and um, it's a lovely way of socialising and it's a fabulous way of meeting people especially since since, since COVID and that mm. it's very important that people mix with people and make friends and go out like like go out at the house and hear the music hear the dancing and like you like have a great fun a great laugh and it's it's great like like hearing hearing yourself and yourself and Muriel and all the lovely fabulous fans that we have to go and hear like we're we're absolutely spoiled for choice like there's there's so much beautiful dance halls um there's lovely places like mm. like lovely hotels and lovely uh, dancing weekends like yourself and Muriel's coming mm. up um next weekend in the West County and like like the music and meeting all the people and of course the style of course brand like well, we're, we're you see all that was that was style. the main I have that <laughs> highlighted in my notes to talk to you about that Ruth because I mean not only do people talk about your beautiful dancing but y- you take style so seriously don't you Oh, oh yes! Like absolutely! Like, like for the competitions that John, that John and I do in the Borum Latin Jive, uh, we go up to V Style in Dublin and we get special uh, costumes made. We'd say for the competitions and then go on social dancing, go on social dancing, jiving. Then, uh, like, like literally, like every weekend, like we're always on the lookout. Um, if we're passing shop windows. We're always looking to see nice shirts, nice dresses, mm. and of course, John then has to match me. Of course, of course. so he does. <laughs> he 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 has to match me. Yeah. Uh, so he does because it's lovely then for the photographs we'd say for the videos, and and like for certain events, certain events that we do, like we'd say like for charities, mm. like uh, like every year, every year we do a city hall, the Lord Mayor's tea dance as part of Deccan Roaches, and mm. um, we'd say dancing club. And like that, you, like everyone has to dress a certain way and match in certain colours. And like each occasion we have, 
like we'd always be looking for something different or something to match something else like the style is something else on the dancing scene like people people who who wouldn't dance they wouldn't realize like how much effort um like ladies put into like uh, what they wear it's so much part so much part of it and and tell me ruth have you noticed over the last few years because i think the jiving in particular is attracting younger people to get involved. Would you go along with that, Ruth? Yes. Oh, yeah. Actually, like it's like it's it's great to see. Like, like since I started doing the ballroom Latin and jive, like it's amazing through the years. Like, like there is there is way more. Like, there's way more younger people now uh, taking up the jiving, mm. and it's it's great. It's great to see because it's great for dancing to see like a mix of ages because like we we can all learn. We can all learn, we'd say, from each other, like no matter what age we are mm. or what level, like dancing is for everybody. And it's it's great now, like when we go to different venues and we see more younger people driving and more younger people starting and like, like a lot of people ask us now, where do you go, we'd say, for lessons to learn or where, where do you go where a group might go together or yes. where would you go, like to dance with different people or, you know, like, like, to, like to, to make friends and get to know what's on and, it's great Super. to see some younger singers and performers uh, getting involved in the scene as well, which which is very important uh, too. Uh, tell me, Ruth, do you have to, as you know, because we know one another for, for quite some time, I have two left feet. Can everybody be taught to dance, Ruth? Like, 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 yes, like, like, like that, that, like that, that is the great thing. That is the great thing, like, like about dancing, is that, like, like with, with dancing, like everyone can be taught, everyone can be trained, and the thing is, the thing is, is that it's for it's for every level, and like it, it doesn't matter about about we say what level you're at, or if you're competing, or if you're just going out having the fun, having the laugh. Is is that like nobody minds? Kind of everyone does. Everyone does their own their own style, their own steps, their own ways of things. People different ways of learning. Some people like the more the more fun, the more driving. Some like the more serious ballroom. Mm. Some like a mix. Some like the social, and some just like listening to the music even, or mm. just going out for the odd dance, or even watching, or. You know, it's like it's great. Like dancing is definitely for everybody. Mm. You know, it's it's just like anything. Like you also have different levels, or maybe you might have you might have some people might be better than others at one dance, and they could be better at, at a different dance. Or, but really, like it makes no difference because it's it's really just for the fun. Of course, like yeah. you, you, you you can you can do exactly what you want. You know, like with the dancing. You know, and I'm just conscious, way. Ruth. There oh. may be people listening to us this morning that you know mightn't have a social outlet. For example, they might be home on their own at weekends and and the like and they might like something to to do i mean would you would you advocate it would, would you advise people that this is a, a way to get out and meet people and socialize oh, yes. yeah oh, oh, oh yes like, like absolutely like different places now where, where john and i have been doing like events like we were on the chris Owens podcast uh there there in dublin going back a few months ago mm. and it was it was amazing because different people heard us talking through that about the dancing yeah and and when they heard us saying about all like all the friends we made like all the people we met all the memories and every weekend there's always something coming up and like like you'd be invited like to so many events and 
so many things happening and like it's unbelievable like your circle of friends and and your network like it's just it's completely mm. it's completely changed when you start dancing and it was very interesting actually we were blowing this in Varna there a few, a few weekends ago and and actually uh, we, we met a man there he was sitting beside us and he, he was admiring our dancing and he was saying that he just was after uh, it was say starting uh, coming to dances and he said since he started it changed his life completely because he said like he's met people from all over the country that he never met before and he said now every weekend he's something to look forward to and he said he was saying like the, the extra size and like hearing the music like yes. it's such a tonic it's such a tonic like to hear the music and to see all the fun all the laughs like like that go on that he, that he was actually telling us that he life has changed completely and um, yeah. since he started dancing and and, he, and even John and I we'd say often say like even for our wedding even for our wedding and my 30th birthday like we had such big crowds at both of those events and like mm. like but that's because dancing people, was at the center dancing. of those celebrations yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, like like exactly and most of most of the people we'd say that that, that were at those events we'd say our wedding and 30th birthday most of them like were dancers like from literally all over ireland mm. that we met and the hotel like couldn't believe that there were so many people f- f- like from all over and they were saying my god like you you make so many friends and like meet so many mm. people through the dancing of and course, of course yeah. the bands the bands of course are absolutely fantastic and, Absolutely and, amazing. And of that. course, the perfect example of what we're talking about is last Saturday night because you were there along with about 250 other people as well, Ruth, to uh, congratulate and say happy birthday to, to our good friend uh, Tommy Friday. And Tommy is 95 and still dancing yes. around the place. Isn't that fantastic, you know? Yes, uh, yes. Like, like it'll it'll just show it'll just show you, Fran, that, that our good friend Tommy Friday, we had a fantastic time there on Saturday, and it it'll just it'll just show you, like Tommy's ninety five, and like he's dancing so many nights a week, and 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 like he had a fabulous, we say fabulous birthday party, and and again, like 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 John and I's wedding and my thirty birthday, all full of so many like so many friends and so many dancers. Like, like it was unbelievable, and the fitness, like it keeps you so fit and it keeps you so healthy. Like it's absolutely amazing. Like, like as as part of second roaches, uh, we say dancing club, and um, we say he, his oldest student is uh, Tango Jim, and he's a hundred and four, and he and and he is still dancing every week. And so I think he's featured tonight that. as well, Ruth. Is he in in the program he tonight? Is, I think yeah. So. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. So, so as 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 well as John and I being featured on tonight's program, Secrets of the Dance Store, uh, on RT One tonight. Also, we'd say our our tutor Declan Roach is being featured, and his group class, and also Excellent. then Tango Jim, and like he dances. He dances every week, you know, and like, like he's amazing. Like, so it's, at one hundred and four years old, isn't that just incredible? Yeah, it's, Ruth, exactly. One hundred four years old. I must leave it's it there, but we're, we're all so looking forward to the program tonight, uh, Ruth. And uh, thanks so much for coming on with us today. Thank you. Of course. Thanks, Ruth. Thank, Thank you. you so My much. best to John as well. Thank you. Bye bye to you now. It's lovely, Ruth Nolan speaking to us there. Um, that program tonight, 25 minutes to 10 on RTE One Secrets from the Dance Floor. Uh, news and information is coming up.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back. Thanks very much, Pat. Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today, 1800 And lots of people on to say that it was terrific to listen to Ruth uh, this morning, my friends Angela and Martin Pollard on to say, great to hear Ruth on, Fran, fantastic dancer, and dancing is great therapy for all. And, well, Angela and Martin would know that because they're, they're marvellous dancers and very stylish too. I won't, I won't mention the, the mini. <laughs> Angela, I won't mention the mini. Honestly, I won't. Um, 083-311-3311. Now, last Friday night, Patrick Keelty presented his third Late Late Show. We said we'd monitor the show after a few weeks. On social media platforms, there have been sort of a mixed reaction, indeed, to his performance. Carol Clancy is a regular contributor to the show, regular panellist as well, and joins me now. Carl, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Carl, and great to talk to you today. Um, you've been having a look over the last few weeks. How, how do you think it's developing? How is it shaping up, Carl? Well, I started with uh, having a look uh, on the, the, the inaugural night, and I was first struck by the very, very similar stage setup and format as the Jimmy Fallon show in mm. the US, mm. which is a very light-hearted very different kind of show to what we would have traditionally expected The Late Late to be. Because although The Late Late is, can be light, it has always dealt with fairly meaty subjects as well. Yes. So, and it, like bringing on uh, the, the guests he brought on to begin with, it was very much a case of bedding in. And I think he'll still be bedding in. And I think he'll be bedding in up until maybe the toy show mm. and see how that goes. Because if you don't have a good toy show, you're on a hiding to nothing. Yeah, it really is the, going to be the litmus test for him, isn't it? Um, I'm just thinking, the the first um, quarter of the show where it's sort of a mixed panel and a sort of panel discussion, I suppose some similarities to, to Norton there. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's working out, Carl? I think that there is, I suppose, a, a, a departure from the tradition. And the tradition had gotten maybe a bit stale, mm. and maybe we needed to shake it up. Mm. But I would kind of ask, where do we leave the the more delicate subjects, the more sensitive subjects, the more topical subjects that the late late is famous for bringing out, bringing to the fore? And Gay Byrne, let's face it, that was a consummate performer. Mm. Um, Pat was a great journalistic broadcaster interviewer. Mm. Ryan, less so, but will Patrick Keelty be able to interview people in a way that has any depth at all? Because the show doesn't seem to be heading that direction. It doesn't seem to be heading to kind of show that has depth to it. Um, and if it's going to ape the, the American format and stay light, does it then risk losing its soul? Yeah, it's interesting. And in terms of the interview with Rob Delaney, for example, the the American comedian and and actor, and he spoke about the loss of his son. And how how do you think he performs in those situations where you need a considerable amount of empathy, for example, Carl? Well, I think that probably throwing that in so early 
yeah. was probably quite difficult because Patrick Keelty is first and foremost a comedian and a light-hearted entertainer. To throw him into the deep end of something that's that difficult to do a good interview on, even if you have a lot of experience, mm. was always going to be something that, as long as he came out of it without any major blunders, it's a success. Yes. So yeah. I think that really we won't know until he's had his first real opportunity to deal with something topical and he's had his first toy show under his belt. And <laughs> those two those two um, stools, if he falls between either of them, uh, you, you risk losing the audience and losing the room. Now, f- funnily enough, Carl, next week will be an important one as well because it's, it's one of these country... Uh, music specials as well and you know over the last few years with uh, Ryan Tuberty they've been huge in terms of uh, listenership and viewership and the and the like that will be a bit of a test for him as well because you'd wonder how he's going to make that different in some way yeah well not only does he have to make it different he has to really know what he's talking about yeah yeah and Ryan for all that he wasn't a great interviewer he was a very, very accomplished broadcaster with a good research team, mm. and he was very slick at getting across information. Mm. So I think that Patrick is uh, he's up against it. Mm. But he, has a, a, he has a hell of a pedigree to follow. It's not as if you're, you're dealing with mediocres. Like even Pat Kenny, who was a great journalist and mm. is a great broadcaster, mm. perhaps not the greatest personality, unlike yourself. Oh, yeah. um, that that ever lived, but he um, he did know how to to get the most out of an interview. I I think that those kinds of broadcasters leave a very big set of shoes to be filled, and I think the departure from the traditional format is probably an effort not to have him try to fill those shoes at the beginning. Yes. Yeah, to take it off somewhere else, I suppose. The only thing I would say, and again, I'm saying this um, in in his favour in some way. I mean, you you speak about somebody like Jimmy Fallon, for example, Carl, and any of those huge names in the States, they would have five, six, eight, ten writers writing every single murmur for them. Every murmur, and and it's all fluff. There there is nothing that's going to, to... um, rock the boat, yes. nothing that's going to be revelatory, it's vaguely comedic, and I say vaguely because anything to do with um, uh, Americans and comedy, I find, you know, find their comedy a little... Um, do you? <laughs> basic, basic. <laughs> do call you? it basic. Yeah, do you prefer the British comedy? Do you think that's... I think, I think Irish comedy and British comedy yeah, yeah. Are, are streets ahead of most because of our ability to laugh at ourselves. Yes, yeah. But uh, it, it, it was always a gamble putting a comedian in charge. But they did need to put somebody who was definitely from outside their fold. And although he's done work for RTE in the past, he's not an RTE person. Yes. And I think that they really needed that. I sometimes feel a little bit isolated because, because I, I I try to talk up Ryan Tuberty because I do think he's a very talented fellow. Now, I think he was more of a radio man than a TV man, but I still think he, he had a likability factor about him. He's an intelligent guy, um, you know, but, but you, you don't rate him by comparison to either Kenny or Byrne. 
I think the ability of Gay Byrne to put his own agenda and his own viewpoint to the side mm. was was quite unrivaled. Mm. I think his ability to get to the truth of a matter, irrespective of how uncomfortable it made him or made anybody else, yes. was something that he did quite uniquely. I think Ryan's personality tended to be very on show, especially if the person he was dealing with was somebody perhaps whose politics he didn't agree with or whose stance he didn't agree with. You're right, yeah. So, yeah, because I remember particularly two two interviews that st- struck me, and, and that was very obvious, was Michelle O'Neill and Mary Lou MacDonald. That's the one I was referring yeah. to. <laughs> and he, he just could not, particularly with Michelle O'Neill, he could not even keep his face um open in some way to, to some sort of a normal discussion. Yeah, well, you have a, a man who's part of being a Paul dynasty. Of course, and, and of course, yes. yeah. You're never going to get an unbiased reaction there without having to really swallow your, your own viewpoint. Yeah. And that's where the interview suffered, is it needed somebody who was prepared to say, here are the questions, unvarnished, you give me your answers, I'll query them as though... I'm querying anybody else's, mm. not with any agenda or axe to grind. And he didn't pull that one off. Yeah. So I think I think Patrick Keelty will have a, an equally tough time if it comes to any kind of an interview like that because of his background and his growing up in the North and all the rest of it. There are certain things that obviously he, he will carry with him. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see how he measures up in that regard. Won't it just? But you're certainly not writing him off, and you think there's possibility. Are you, you're seeing green shoots, as they say, Carol. Well, as, as, as long as they don't Americanize the entire production and make it be pre-formatted, pre-written, and with very yes. little actual soul left in it, yeah. Then I, I would say, go for it. And it needed a change. It needed a, a, a shake-up. And finally, could I ask you, and again, I'm just referring to a lot of what was on social media, they were on about the the audience being so overexcited uh, at everything that it seemed like it was canned laughter every now and again as well. Now, I know I've been on the show a good few times over the years and I've been there in the audience and it, it, they do try and sort of get the audience enthusiastic, to say the very least, before a show. Does that take from it, though, in, in, in any way for you? I, I think that initially you're going to have that kind of um, hyperbole, that, that little bit of extra ooh and ah. Yes, clap now, that, for example. Yes. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> but I think that the Irish public, once we get to grips with uh, with how it looks and how it feels, we'll make our own decisions as to when we find something funny or when we're impressed by whatever hamper is being given away for yes. one to everyone in the audience. Yeah. But... You know, um, I'm not writing it off. I think that there's been a lot of positive comment on social media mm. by people who are have been ardent viewers for decades. And, you know, as long as he respects where the show came from, he can take it in lots of directions. 
Yes. There, there was a comment from a, a, a particularly grumpy friend of mine who's a broadcaster with another radio station, and all he put up over the weekend was, bring back Toberty. So, so I, know, I know where he stands on it all, but anyway, it's interesting. But, but then when, they, when Ryan Toberty came, they said, bring back Pat. Know, and, when, and when Pat came, they said, bring back Gay. I know. I know, it's amazing. So, you know, it's it's a case of you're never going to please everyone, so you might as well try to please yourself. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Carol, it's always a delight. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Not about Thank Take you. care. Bye-bye, Have a good Jeanette. one. Bye-bye. That's uh, Carol Clancy speaking with their regular contributor to the show. Marvellous writer as well, and you'll uh, read his pieces, I'm sure, uh, in The Nationalist every week. Um, all right, we'll take a break. We're back with more. It's 18 past 11 right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Norma was on to say, Fran, I loved uh, listening uh, to your last caller. I feel the same. I'm not at all religious, uh, but I get so much from... Knock. Uh, Mellory is my absolute favourite spot in the world. It's so peaceful and a great programme as well. Thanks for that, Norman. Good to hear from you today. Um, some of our listeners in Kappa White as well on to say hello to Sean O'Donovan, who spoke to us uh, earlier on as well. Um, another listener saying, I agree with your previous comment where the Guardian are concerned. They will have to regain confidence. And it goes on to give me some incidents of Gardaí in coffee shops and uh, the like as well. Um, it says here they're entitled to the breaks, but the optics look bad. Imagine if nurses left hospitals for their breaks. Well, I suppose the, the guard that you say they're around patrolling and the like. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with them going in for a, for a cup of coffee. I have a break during the show here and I generally have a cup of coffee. Um, OK, um, I went to school in Mallory. I go up there once a year. It's so peaceful up there. No place like it, says one of our listeners. All right, then, let us uh, move on. Let's stick with the Late Late Show and go to Helen. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Helen. Lovely to talk to you today. You've watched all three weeks, Helen, at this point of the Late Late Show. What are your thoughts? Um, I'm actually enjoying it, and I think he is improving. I particularly landed right into and got very emotional about his final interview on Friday night. Was this with Rob Delaney? With Rob Delaney, yes. yes. And I think I actually think that Patrick did such a very good, caring, sensitive interview with him. And he didn't blunder or make any stupid comments. And mm. I felt, yeah... This man is really able to do his job. And I was particularly invested in it because of my own experiences. Your, your own experience with, with loss, Helen, is it? With loss, yes. Um, now, one was, I suppose, through my niece. Uh, when my niece was three years old, her baby brother died on her birthday. Oh, my God. Oh my and God. my niece used to spend a lot of time here in the house with me. And as a teenager, she said, you know, Auntie Helen, my... My birthday is always destroyed because it's um, on the anniversary of Gavin's death. Of course. And it'll never change. That will never, ever change. And I know that even though it's my birthday, my parents will always be sad. And I can never really celebrate it. Oh, my God. That's something uh, we never think about very much, Helen, is when those yeah. things occur around the time of a, a milestone, a birthday. or. Yeah. And you think she was three years old. Now, people remember that I was two years old when my brother, when my brother died. 
and I remember him and I remember he just seemed to disappear and I blamed myself for his disappearance. So people don't think about how children may react. And it is why I was so invested in what Rob was saying, how open they were with the older brothers about what was happening to the little boy. And uh, and, and you, 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 of course, from your own experience, you realise how important that, that yes, was. Yes, absolutely. From my own personal experience, from my from what my niece, because I was I was the one she used to always talk to, because she, she couldn't talk to her parents. She mm. knew they were so sad. So she was able. To, thankfully, she was able to talk to me. Uh, and Rob was pointing out that what goes on in kids' heads could be far worse than what is actually happening. And that was poignant because in their case, the little boy was dying. I mean, like, what could be worse than your child dying? You know. It's, I, I can't imagine it, to be honest, Helen. I just can't. But yet again, when I had cancer, I sat my two down. They were, they were very young. And I told them exactly what was happening, exactly the stage I was at and exactly what the forward plan would be. So it was that whatever was in their heads would not terrorise them. And I said to them, ask me anything and I'm going to be very sick and I'm going to lose my hair, but I am not going to die. So you gave them hope as well as everything else? I gave them hope, but I told them exactly what to expect. And and that, and that I think it is so important. And Rob brought that up beautifully. And uh, then when he was talking it again about the death on the birthday of... He was, he was relieved that the boy died on his birthday rather than the older brother's birthday. And I thought, yeah, I get that. Although, you know, it was me. Um, my granddaughter was stillborn seven days before my birthday. And my 60th birthday, which was going mm. to be as big a one as we could have had sure. in 2020 mm. during the, the lift-up of the... Um, of the restrictions mm. and I absolutely did not want to celebrate it and I didn't want to think of birthdays for years because it was just so god awful there is it's the most incalculable loss because not only did I lose my granddaughter but I lost part of my daughter and we need to have a lot of conversations about death or rather than oh yeah look it's okay because people feel uncomfortable around it and might walk away people cross the street away from me because they couldn't bear to talk to me they didn't know what to say you know early days I'd have ripped their heads off no matter what they said mm, yes. and, yeah. and they kept away from my daughter and they were afraid to say to my daughter you know how how are you feeling so sad to hear about Winter Rose dying and Fran you did a wonderful interview with my daughter after after she had lost her baby. I remember it well, Helen. I remember how yeah. heartbreaking it was. Yeah. 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 So that's why that interview was absolutely... I thought Patrick did a wonderful job because I thought I, I was kind of like on sensitive, super sensitive yes, level. Yes, of course you were, yeah. And he was so good and he asked the right questions and he was touching the man on the arm and he was just relating his own personal experience. Now, Patrick hasn't lost a child, but he has lost his father horrifically and suddenly, and he was 17 years old. Yes, his father was murdered, wasn't he, in the north? His yeah. father was murdered by the UFF, the mm. military wing of the Loyalists. Yeah, he was. So and and he, when, he knew when a he show said. like The Late Late, when it deals with something like that properly and with empathy and... It's really doing its job then, is it not, Helen? I mean, you know... I think it, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Um, it's a strange thing. I don't think I could 
even though I thought the interview was amazing, I don't think I could bear to watch it again because it was that 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 good. I think Patrick really lifted himself up there. Yes. And and that notion of, you know, telling children that you know, that their brother was going to, to, to die. I, 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 you know, as a parent, Helen, I, I just would find it so hard to get my head around how you would even approach that without being a complete mess, without completely breaking down, you know. Isn't it a strange thing that something something happens now? I know she was my granddaughter, not my daughter, but I have not shed one tear in front of my daughter about her granddaughter. You get a strength. Do you? And you think about... You, it's as though you put your child, and it doesn't matter whether your child's the child or an adult child, you you put your emotions into a box or something, the things you want to do, you break down and cry, and you deal and speak and do whatever needs to be done. There's there's some words, it's a compartment, putting a, emotions into a compartment. Yes. So, you know, they're not the negative, they're the breaking down in tears and wanting to fall to pieces and scream, why the hell is this happening? You know, but that goes. Yeah. You have to be there and be positive and show that strength because the child, no matter what age they are, is going to be devastated. And the parent crying, they, the child will want to hold out to the parent to go, I'll mind you or, oh my God, you're falling apart. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? There has to be that strength. And that is an amazing thing to have. Yeah, you you yeah. have an incredible grasp of this, Helen, and something that you've alluded to as well, and I would completely agree with you, is that you can't underestimate what goes on in a child's head and no. the kind of catastrophizing they will do if they think that, you know, there's an issue with their parents or with the, If it's not explained properly to them, they will fill in the gaps and they'll do it in a way that will damage them in later years. Would you agree? I absolutely agree. And that's why I was so straightforward with my two when I was yes. that seriously ill. Well, because, because of your own would, experience, of course. Yes, yes. because um, because they knew of people who had died from cancer. So I had to be absolutely straight down the line with them about this. And um, How did they react, yet, Helen? Uh, they were shocked and they were saying, are you sure you're going to be okay, but don't people die? And I said, no, I'm not going to die. I'm going to be extremely sick and you might, I'm going to be in and out of, out of hospital and you might think I am going to die, but I, I'm, I promise you I'm not. And if that changes, I will tell you. And we also got help from the hospice nurses who came to me once a month and they spoke with my kids as well. Because there were things my two would not have been able to speak to me about. Yes. But there was someone else they could speak to. And that's also important. If the child has somebody else other than the immediate family to speak to, then there's less chance of them being completely traumatised. They are going to be traumatised. We can protect them from that. But it will lessen the severity of the traumatisation and it will help them deal with what's going on with them. You know, and it's certainly not a cure and it's not a remedy, but it's just a little, you know, that little step back from the edge of the cliff so they don't fall over the cliff. Step back. Well, you explain it so well. So as far as you're concerned, uh, Patrick Kilty, he passed, he passed that particular test in flying colours anyway. Oh, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. 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 
he was just he was just so caring and he asked the right questions and I liked what he said at the end when he said just take it from me that in time to come and it could take a long time you will be able to celebrate your birthday again and celebrate the life that was your son's now I saw the look on Rob's face which was like hell go away but that happens too I'm told so Helen, it was lovely to talk to you. And thank you so much for being so open with me, Helen. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you very thank much, Fran. Thanks, Bye-bye. Helen. Bye-bye Bye. to you now. That's Helen speaking to us uh, this morning. Deirdre joins me now. Deirdre, good morning to you. Good morning. And good to talk to you today, Deirdre. You have some concerns, Deirdre, about the government possibly bringing in some sort of a, a tiered system for disability allowance. Um, is that something similar to what's happening in the UK? Is that is that what's concerning you? Yes, they are saying um, that no, they are not going to be uh, like the UK. But I think that he's only wording it differently and that, yes, he they will. They're trying to, um, they are trying, they, 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 um, they need money. And, and sorry mm. now, no, they no need problem. money and um, it's, uh, it's the people who need the money most that they're taking it from. Because um, five days ago, mm-hmm. the government left, um, had a bill that released one billion euros mm-hmm. for houses in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, they gave all um, the MPs got 1,600 and the Taoiseach and the Taunashtra got 233,000. So they have to bring in money somewhere and as per usual the the people who need it most are being are being cut yeah, um, Leo Varadkar said the Irish model um, is still under some sort of development at the moment but he said it's about recognising that all disabilities are not the same and that some people need more support than others what what is that saying to you now do you think I think he's only drip feeding us so, so that they won't be up in arms, at, um, um, and that eventually, yes, he will, he will um, br- bring it in. Uh, there are people on disabilities who are born with a disability. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't know how he, how he thinks uh, those people are going to miraculously. He is actually joining disability and benefits. Um, you know, people who are out of work for various reasons. He's trying to put that together with disability. They're, they're, you know, they don't go together. Yeah, I, my understanding of it is a bit sketchy, but it's it's some sort of medical assessment, Deirdre, to assess capability of work, I think. Isn't that what it is? And they'll probably yes, put it into three different tiered categories based on how much you can work with a particular disability. Yeah, I think the first one is uh, disability, people who are disabled who are never going to work. Okay. And then there's two other tiers that he's hoping that people will get into courses and eventually then if they get into a course, they'll be uh, employed um, and they'll come off the disability and he'll get them into employment. But there was a lady on, um, I can't remember now where I read it, maybe it was the Irish Independent on Saturday, and she has MS. Yes. And she's on a disability. And she said that she could have two brilliant days and then maybe three or four days she would be in bed mm. and she wouldn't be able to. Now she says, what employer is going to employ her? Yeah, and, and I presume, I mean, I'm sure you know far better than I do, Deirdre, but 
I presume the mo- people with receiving disability allowance, well, sure, they'd love to be doing all sorts of other stuff. And I'm sure if they were capable of doing it and could possibly do it, um, they would. So is it not very patronising to be talking about really, this sort of I think model? He's, and, yeah. You know, it's an ignorance, I think, really. Do you know what I mean? That they have. Um, they haven't a clue um, how parents of... I, my daughter is 27 and she has autism. And um, she goes to rehab care in Clamel, which she absolutely loves. Um, and through that, she does a bit of voluntary work in a shop at Clamel for two hours. Mm. Absolutely loves it. But if she has a bad day in the shop where she works, okay, as in uh, her anxiety and whatever, people don't see that. So when she comes home, there's a complete meltdown and you have to cope with that. You know, she's 27, but... Mm. And is is your fear, and again, just for clarity, Deirdre, is your fear then that your daughter may be assessed in some way, they might decide that she's capable of working, but, you know, the scenario you described to us there... Um, would would be more subtle and, you know, it could, it could be a right mess, couldn't it? He, he, that's because they don't understand, you yeah. know. They they don't they don't, don't live with children with disabilities. Um, they don't, you know, they just see money. And they think that giving disability to people is, you know, that some people can work. You know, there's all different sorts of disability. There's mental disability. Mm. You don't know. You meet people on the street, you know, you think you know them. You know absolutely nothing about them. When these people go home, you know, you don't know how they're able to cope. They put a a good, you know, they put a good foot forward from the meat, but they go home and they're not able to cope. I, I found it very telling as well when Paul Murphy from People Before Profit, when he brought up that, that movie, I, Daniel Blake, which is about people yes. with disabilities who were forced to go through assessments like we're talking about and, and, and deemed capable of working, even though they might be. And then his rebuttal to that was to bring up the, the, the documentary Benefit Street, which sort of was showing yes, up yeah. people on benefits to be ripping off the government. So yes, that, that was very telling, wasn't it? Yeah, like, they just, they just, I think, I suppose it's a harsh word, but they're ignorant in, in, in their thinking. You know, they haven't a clue about the day-to-day of taking care of children with disabilities. People don't see half of what goes on. You know, you're out and about with your child or whatever, everything is lovely, but they don't know that, like, you know, my daughter could be up two or three times at night. You know, you don't, she's just... That's just her. She never sleeps, never slept from when she was a baby. You might get two hours sleep out of her, three hours the most. You know what I mean? She's up then she's tired during the day. You're tired. And they think then that they can bring her in, you know, and um, quiz you about why do you think you need uh, disability? You know, I won't go into a lot of things now because, you know, but she's 27 and you're doing things for her that you shouldn't have to do. Sure, sure. You know, sure. and I think mm. it's demoralising that they bring you in and they're asking, you know, they're making you scrimp and, you know, write down what, like, they're looking for reports because she has been, we have been brought before a board before and um, it, they're asking you, like, from the minute you wake up to the time you go to bed, exactly what happens during the day. You know, we can't go on holidays without my other daughter minding her. You can't leave her in the house for more than an hour or two by herself. You know, these things... But we're so used to them that it's just our life here. But 
people don't understand that, you know. And you're suspicious. While the government is saying they won't follow the UK model of knocking people off benefits or whatever, you're still a bit suspicious because the model here is still under development and... Yeah, I think they're only drip-feeding us bits you and bobs. Yeah. You know, bits here, bits there, and eventually, yes, they they will do something, you know, they will do something that um, will affect people um, on disability, um, you know, parents, mm-hmm. care, everything I'd say is going to come into... Um, what, wouldn't, it be, come into wouldn't it be more in their line if they went out and found the people who are really ripping off this country? And largely they're people in suits and ties and working for financial institutions. Would there be more in their line now to go about? Oh, sure. You know what? You could get, you could get very cross <laughs> about I'm things. Permanently that, you know cross, what I mean? Think, like, all, you know, the, even the fellas in, in government, like, you know, who they claimed for things that they didn't do, you yeah. know, they never paid back. They never paid back a penny of that. Not a penny of it. You know, they didn't have to pay it back. Whereas, just say, for instance, um, people on carers, or if they got if their husbands or wives or whoever partners um, earned extra, you know, and then they, they didn't. You don't think of these things. Uh, they earned extra, then they're on onto you like you owe us so much, and they're actually they're taking it from the carers or the disability. You know, we have no way of of fighting them back. Really, you know, you sort of. You have to be on your toes all the time. With well, them. you're too busy caring to find the time for to you know, be fighting them. But all. there comes a time when you have to just. I think this is the time now that I will definitely be standing up and saying, "You're not getting away with this now. No way." But, you know. But, but Deirdre, we're in the middle of an unprecedented housing and cost of living crisis. The state of our health service and all the public services as well. You know, huge inequality with distribution <laughs> of wealth, all of that kind of thing. And here they are now. They want to home in on people on disability allowance. Really? You know? Yeah, as I said, now, the Taoiseach and the Taunister got, um, just before the, the budget, they got 233,000 of an increase. Ah, they deserve it, though. Ah, they need it for the poor old pets. Don't they? <laughs> I don't know. Deirdre, look after yourself, and thank I'll you so much. You. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye to you now. We'll take a break. Back in just uh, a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. As uh, Ashing Murphy's uh, trial is today, could Tip FM not do a talk on that? And, uh, well, you see, we can't because a trial is actually underway since half past ten this morning. Now, we did cover the fact that the trial is happening, but one has to be rather careful uh, about um, discussing what's happening uh, during a, uh, a legal trial. Uh, another Deirdre with me now. Deirdre, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? Good to talk to you, Deirdre. And we're back to the Late Late Show. You you haven't really watched very much since the time of Gayborn, have you? No, not really, no, to be honest. Yeah. Um, well, probably it was more logistical than anything because I was living in the UK. Yeah. But, um, but nonetheless, you know, and any opportunity I did get to watch it, I was just so bored. You know, I'd switch it off. Now, I mean, Pat Kenny is more of a political interviewer. Mm. And Ryan Tuberty used to bore me to tears, so I used to switch off. So, you know, just thinking back on Gay Byrne, like when, when you were talking about him there, I mean, gosh, he, he was 
he was a different kettle of fish altogether. Like he had um, so much. Um, uh, I don't know, it was just like a, a, a sort of a natural conversation where he could draw anything out of anybody and make people do stupid things, you know, or not necessarily... That Sometimes that destroyed their careers, in fact. Oh, oh. God, yeah. I mean, I mean look yeah. what happened to Peter Brooks singing, yeah, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. and you think of, um, you know, and what he did to Patrick Flynn and Three Hours, yeah. you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you kind of wouldn't get that now and, and teaching everyone in Ireland how to use a condom, you know. Yeah, I know. My God, yeah. like in 1987, the shock. How, yeah. how how powerful that stuff was, and it's very important to keep in mind as well that that Gay was very much a practicing Catholic through those years as well, but he wasn't afraid he wasn't. to to attack, no. you know, the the powers that be. And I suppose he was like um, he could see that things were changing, yeah, and and that things had to change, and that I suppose like he he was very um, conscious of um, the uh, the scandal and the and also the effect. Of you course, know, yeah. and um, and that's what makes good TV, isn't it? You know what I mean? And um, you know, when uh, you think back about, um, you know, even the way he dealt with uh, Oliver Reed, you remember? Oh, I remember. Uh, Oliver was drunk, wasn't he? He was drunk, but he was flirting with Susan George. <laughs> you know, right. and um, and, and oh, I remember. It's yeah. a nightmare, you know. And yeah. you think, gosh, you know, how did he hope? You know, and. Um, but then again, you know, taking on the hard hitting stuff as well. You know, I mean, of course, yeah. if you remember, well, in my, when I was um, sixteen, do you remember? Um, and I remember watching it as well. But I was more or less the same age. That girl, that poor girl, and love it. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and she had to give birth in a grotto at fifteen. That's you know, and yeah. it was dreadful when you think about it. You know, those, those they were big stories. They were, and but he, it had an had intellectual weight to it as well. I mean, when you think of the yeah, pa- yeah. the panel, people like Ulick O'Connor on the panel, Ted Bonner on the uh, the panel, you know, Peter Eustonuff as guest, really Peter class, class was stuff. Wasn't he brilliant? Yeah, you know, really. really. And the, and I think that really brought on conversations yeah. and actually yeah. being able to people to have a, an opposite opinion, you know, was not necessarily sh- shouted down, but you could talk through it. And I think in a way that's what's missing from our. Um, TV of today, because we have um, people on there now that are very insipid and they're afraid to open their mouth. Yes, you and it's, it's kind of lowest common denominator stuff as, as well. Do you think, is it too woke as well? Is it too careful, I suppose, is what I'm saying, Deirdre? I suppose they're all careful because they don't want their careers over. Yeah. Because people get cancelled for saying the wrong thing. So, you know, I suppose they're, they're sort of more, they dance around serious questions rather than answering it. Um, but I suppose, you know, I mean, um, I, what, what the only thing I suppose Pat Kenny, um, uh, you know, or was it Ryan Tuberty actually interviewed Catherine Corliss? Mm, mm. And I think that one was, I, uh, that's the only yes. one I remember. And th- that brought so up the whole tomb Babies uh, thing. Exactly. And I mean, those, yeah. I mean, that's to be fair to him, that was good, you know, and that's the kind of thing you want to see um and yes. in between all the funny stuff, you do want things to be serious too, and that there are serious issues in the country. And and the late HO was always there, pick out those issues and sort of dissect them a little bit, and tell the people because we really didn't have any other way of actually finding out stuff, you know. Because of, yeah. and and Kate Burns' show in the morning on RTE was another one my mother would listen to. Oh, sure, fantastic, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, he always talked to the housewives, Barnes, you know. And there was always stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and he gave start. a voice to the women of Ireland at the time as he well. Did. You know? Yeah, he did because they didn't have one. Yeah. You know, and they no one, no one really. Um, well, they didn't take women seriously anywhere, did they? You know, 
Marianne Finucane even said it on her on the show. I'll never get to sit in that seat. You know, uh, Gay Byrne let her sit in his seat and said, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you and, she, know? and she did host uh, at least one uh, Late Late Show. The only no thing I'll say in, in um, uh, Patrick Kilty's favour is on the very first show, for the first, I, in fact, I shouldn't have been stunned by it because it should be perfect to talk about, but we heard somebody speak about the plight of Catholics in Northern Ireland. I mean, I had never heard, I hadn't heard that in years brought up on, on the show yeah. because people are so careful, you know. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I suppose because um, also it's a, probably a sensitive issue for him to take on as well. Yes. And, yeah. um, you know, being so political. But but it's just when I heard that, I said, well, maybe there's hope and maybe there will be yeah. more than a single narrative on it. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Look, you have to give people a chance, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I really like Pat Penny and he was very good as a, a journalist in interview. Fantastic, yeah. I just found, I don't know what, the, what happened to them on, on the Late Late Show, but mm. oh, it was just too managed. Whereas yes. I think Jay Byrne has that natural effortless style, you know. And well, that's for sure. For, for my money, there'll be nobody like him. That's uh, for sure. Deirdre, thank you for your time today, and I'd love to talk to you more. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Thank Take you. care of yourself. Good morning. Bye-bye, you friend. too. Thank you. Bye bye. You now, that's Deirdre speaking to us there. Hours to protect. Brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Transport Infrastructure Ireland is taking steps to protect the barn owl population in Ireland. The number of barn owls killed on Irish roads is on the increase due to the growing motorway network. But while this might be good news for motorists, the development of roads and motorways is having a detrimental effect on bird species, particularly the barn owl. I travelled to Thurlis to meet Tom Gallagher from the Tipperary Barn Owl Project about the problem and what's being done to protect the beautiful species. Every year on 100 metres of of the M8, between 50 and 60 owls are killed. It's carnage, really, you know. So that's why the TII are doing this, yeah. And exactly what are they doing then? They're actually leaving a margin at the road. You know, they have the hard shoulder, then they're leaving a cut margin, a mowed margin, Next to that, then, along by the edge of the, uh, that, you have, they're putting in uh, at least four metres high of a hedge, you know, fairly low trees that won't be a danger to cars if there's a wind or a storm. And behind that, then, they're leaving these beautiful, wild grassland. And that's really good hunting ground for barn owls. And you see, there's nothing to stop them. It's just a linear line. They have to just to go up and back, and yeah. then they get their prey. And that prevents... The idea of the hedge, as I said, near, near the mowed edge, uh, is that the barn owl, when it goes to cross over the motorway, they're so focused on listening and seeing that they forget there's a lorry coming, and they can get more out of it. Yeah. So if they have to lift over the hedge... They're gone above the traffic height and they're going across the other side. And it, it defocuses them too from, from uh, hunting. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If they're in hunting mode, they're almost oblivious to any other, yeah. other thing around them. Do you know? And those considerations then that are finally being considered by the TI for barn owls, I mean, I'm sure that would have a knock on effect for other animal and bird species. Oh, it as certainly well. would. It yeah. certainly would. You wouldn't have as many uh, other bird species uh, that would. Uh, particularly the buzzards, they can become 
victims on the road. You know, they're road a very kid. common sight on motorways. Very, very they? common sight. Yeah, the kestrel is fairly safe because the kestrel hunts up high. You know, and it hovers up high, and it just dives down, and it's back up again. You know, uh, uh, maybe I haven't seen many kestrels killed on the motorway. Buzzards, yes, but the barn owl was the biggest, biggest victim of the motorway. You know, are we starting to lose our sense of you know the roadway being? Um, a mode of transport, not just for people and for vehicles, but for for environment, for animals, for birds. Have we we lost that recognition and that realization? Yeah, I suppose we were building them back in the uh, back in the Celtic Tiger era. Uh, we didn't make room for uh, tunnels for the, the the animals like the badger or the hedgehog, uh, the, the hedgehog yeah. you know, and all those. Uh, we we didn't. But now I think they're getting more conscious about the fact that, you know, we owe it to other species. If we're doing away with a habitat belonging to them, we need to leave them a space to find another one. Yeah. And they need these tunnels underneath and we need these preventative measures then for the birds above. Yeah. You know. Is there anything Tom motorists can do to, to be safer or to be more aware? I suppose just watch your speed. Yeah. Don't go too fast. You know, and if you see a barn owl hunting, I suppose you can't slow. Just slow down. You know, and and uh, let it by. You know, uh, although they are very slow flyers, it's it's difficult to you know don't 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 swerve, but yeah. <laughs> just mind yourself. But I mean, at the same time, do slow a little and let them off. You know. Hours to protect. Brought to you by Tip FM, the IBI, and funded by Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out hourstoprotect.ie for more info. Anne was on to say, um, I'm enjoying the Late Late Show with uh, Patrick Hilty so far and I'm looking forward to, to next Friday night's show, the Country Music Special. Patrick, keep up the good work, it says. And Anne goes on to say, I didn't like Ryan and I didn't like Pat. Well, that's it uh, for me. Emma produced, Ali looked after our content today. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show and I'll speak to you tomorrow. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.